Hey, Howard. Monkeys on Keystone. He's getting there, baby. Texas drought. She'd be skinny if she'd stop popping the chocolates in her mouth. Millions of fans around the world tuning in and going nuts. Though a Siskel and an Ebert wouldn't give her two thumbs up. Check out Howard, friend and lawyer, and the purple-haired Kim. Bobby Trendy, her son Daniel, sugar pie, you know him. Critics say it's Cable's worst, yet it's number one rank. That don't bother Anna none. She's laughing all the way to the bank. Yes, indeed, baby, she's got ratings that dazzle, so just save your Sunday night for Anna on the E-Channel. She got bigger humps than an Arabian camel, so just save your Sunday night for Anna on the E-Channel. I think we're starting to make some progress. You know, yesterday and a couple of days in a row, it was like, well, no, yesterday, I guess, it was Geldy's pregame football show, but a couple of days there was the trained monkeys at 9 o'clock. And now it's the audio version of C-SPAN. Oh! We're starting to get some real publicity here from Owen. You want to know why? Because he's got competition. He does? Yeah, you, you forgot, and so did I, starting oh, like the on Norm Kent? the Norma Kent Show, October 1, who actually promotes this show and uses my name oh, God. on the air. Now, we certainly don't expect Mo to like segue into that, especially after today's poll that we're going to be taking. But nevertheless, speaking of polls yesterday, we asked if the election for governor was being held today, right now, who would you vote for? 900 and what is it? 981 votes, almost a thousand votes. And quite frankly, other than a little bit of flurry for Bush there yesterday that was a little bit suspect, uh, it looks like most of them are for real. Bill McBride, 527. Jeb Bush, 227. Mo Howard David, 145. I wouldn't vote at all, 82. 981 votes. So Bill McBride just blows away Jeb Bush in this crowd anyway. Shouldn't be any surprise. Saw an excellent flick yesterday, 10 years old. I thought it was like uh, from this year. What was the other movie I told you that I saw with Adam Baldwin when I was in Amsterdam? I I forgot. And so did I. And it was pretty good. And Deadbolt with Justine Bateman and Adam Baldwin, which I'd never seen before. Come to find out, I look it up and it's 10 years old. And come to find that he was like 30 in that movie. Now he's 40 years old. He's a doddering old man. Not as old as some people we know, but he's a doddering old man. Adam Baldwin, my kind of guy in that movie anyway. Psychotic, nutcase. Speaking of age, I noticed that it was uh, Mrs. Uh, Mo Howard's uh, birthday and their anniversary today. And when uh, when Gildy asked him this morning, <laughs> this morning which anniversary it was, blah, 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 was like that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, let's hear it. Oh. 
There you go. Let's hear it from Mo and Mrs. Mo, huh? But he won't tell us how many because of the fact he wants to protect her age. You see, that's that's just uh, another cover-up for his vanity. You know, people wear bad hair pieces, and people are just uh, don't want to tell the truth about their age. I can't stand that. I mean, he he could be 65, she could be 40. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, she's not because he's he let it out of the bag that she's 50ish, which means like from you know 48 to 100, 50ish. She could be anything. But this business about vanity, I don't understand that. Of course, don't you think that people that wear hair pieces, other than Chuck Alfieri's, <laughs> huh? But seriously, old cockers that wear hair pieces, to me, that's the epitome of vanity, you know. I mean, young guys that, you know, they got a reason to, to, uh, want to get some hair. They're not ready to go yet if it's premature. They're not ready to let go. Anyway, here's today's poll. Well, before we get to today's poll about hair pieces, this is probably the most important thing that we can talk about today. The first family of TV. And this won't get nearly the, uh, play that Elvis and the, you know, all these other anniversaries, these dates that we keep marking. Ozzie and Harriet went on the air 50 years ago today. You ready for that? Yeah. And I can't find the damn Ozzie and Harriet theme. I'm sure I got it here somewhere. Can't find it. Forming the template for sitcoms from Father Knows Best all the way to The Simpsons. On a Friday night 50 years ago today, amid some anxiety from ABC executives about the show's appeal, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet was televised for the first time. They needn't have worried. It stayed on the air for 14 years setting a record for the longest-running family sitcom, a record that will be tied when The Simpsons returns to Fox for its 14th season next month. Even if The Simpsons beats the longevity record, which obviously it will, it currently 144 episodes shy of Ozzie and Harriet's 435. Anyway, uh, Ozzie and Harriet had been a weekly series on radio for eight years before it jumped to TV, and the radio show continued till 54. How do you like that? And now it says we may get the adventures of the adventures, so to speak. CBS reportedly is planning a TV movie biography of the Nelsons to be produced by Tracy Nelson and her brother Gunner. Gunner, who was on this show on IOD back a few years ago. Remember the Nelsons? Yes, you do. Sure. With that long blonde hair. And that long horse face. They looked like Afghan hounds, didn't they? Yes. It says, no doubt it'll be interesting, but oddly enough, as low-key as the original may have been, this venture is likely to pale in comparison. They can't go back. And, and they also said that Ozzy Harrod invented the uh, TV video. I the forget. Tra Traveling Man, Rick Nelson. It was the first uh, oh, TV the music video. video. Yeah. Yes. I heard that, too. How do you like that? Good old Ozzy. He, he seemed like kind of like a, you know, low-key, uh, but he was a pretty good businessman. Kind of like Desi Arnaz. Lucy, right. he seemed like a silly goose, but he, he was the business uh, guy right. behind the brains behind that deal. Invented the rerun. Did he really? And that set where you could just uh, go from one set to another without Lucy, having... Lucy, yeah. Lucy, see, he seemed like just kind of like a, he got off the banana boat. I come to find out he was a pretty good business man. Ruthless, too, I understand. Yes, indeed. Started here's the parakeet cages. <laughs> here's our poll question today, boys and girls. Who do you think has the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Now, we started here, and I had a short list, and I said to George before the show, I don't know if this poll is going to fly, so to speak. Because I can't come up with a lot of names. And then as we put our heads together, and Carlos found a website, and uh, we just we got a pretty damn long list here. Who has the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Sam Donaldson, Aaron Brown. Boy, he, I tell you, he just makes me nauseous. I'm going to program my TV to keep him off. Whiny. He is so whiny. Bob Eisenberg, who was just in there this morning, as a matter of fact. Mo Howard David who's going to be on the poll every day anyway, regardless, although in this case it fits. If you want to see Moe's piece, if you want to use uh, your own judgment, 
just go to the QAM website, WQAM.com, and click on uh, our host or talk host or whatever that says, and you'll see a picture with the uh, gray sideburns and the brown whatever that is on top, the brindle thing. Willard Scott, Marv Albert, and then we've got Henry Frayne. I hope I'm spelling his name right, the former Dade School Superintendent, F-R-A-I-N-D. Yeah, they know who you're talking about. Henry F-R-A-I-N-D. I'm doing it for Eric's benefit because he don't know us. Are, are you faxing this, Derek? We're going to fax it to Eric. Lyle Menendez. I'm pretty sure it's Lyle the one that's got the piece. Right? Sure, why not? It wasn't Eric. Eric's the one that got married. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Paul Simon. Charlton Heston. I see picking on a guy when he's down like that, when he's got his... You son of a bitch. Michael Douglas. Tony Curtis. You know, uh, what's his name? That restaurant reviewer? What that was his name? Peter, uh, what was his name? I only know one. P Peter Clayton. Okay. Rest in peace. He told me an interesting thing about Tony Curtis. Yeah, in you, fact, he... you passed it along. Yeah. I thought you said that Richard Simmons told you that about uh, Tony Curtis. Well, that's right. It was Richard Simmons. That's, well, that's right. Certainly, uh, Peter Clayton yeah. would have told me that because then he would have had to commit, admit that he <laughs> had the same taste. Yeah. Anyway, Martin Landau, <laughs> Tony Bennett, William Shatner. Good Canadian boy there, eh? And Elton John. That's all. I think that's a pretty good start. Now, if you got any others that we don't know about, please fax them in, 305-650-0198. I found one Ooh. more. I don't know if you're interested. Uh, Go Frank right Sinatra? Ahead. He's not in this world anymore, but... No, we tried to dead people already. No, we're not doing no dead people. Let, let's let the, let's let the uh, dead rest uh, in peace with their peace, okay? <laughs> and that's an interesting question, by the way. If the dead people have uh, uh, like a hairpiece, do they bury it with them? Of course. They do? You want to look good in the casket at the funeral, right? You want to look your best, your last appearance. You a tisket, a tasket, be sure that your piece is in the casket. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. See, these are very important things that we never thought about before. That's what this show is famous for, besides being the audio version of C-SPAN and where we monkey around a little bit for four hours. That's right. Get that, get that organ going. I'll tell you one thing. When I see that Adam Baldwin, it kind of gets my organ going a little bit. He's a pretty interesting guy. And do you All grind it? I, well, I didn't grind it, but I kind of like looked at it. But now that I realize he's 40 years old, that's, that's going, that's stretching it a little bit too far, so to speak. But in that movie, he was 30. And what's her name? Justine Bateman by that time looked pretty bad. She looked pretty nasty. She looked back towards the end of that sitcom. And then, of course, is after he had her like locked up in that room for a while, and then when he cut her hair like uh, with the scissors and just oh, she didn't look all that did, great. Um, did she show any titty in that movie? There was one scene where uh, he was screwing her, but I'm forgetting whether uh, we saw Titty or not. I, this this it, it, is a very important point. Oh, it is? Yeah. I don't I don't think so. To me? Why is that? She was scabby looking. Yeah, but still, it's uh, you know, she's famous. Oh, I see. So in other words, you want to see famous teeth. Famous breasts, just as a point of reference, even if they look bad, just to say that you saw them and, uh, you know, to be able to I talk see. about it. Anyway, moving right along. So there's the poll for today. Like I said, we'll probably have some other suggestions. So, Eric, keep an open mind. Keep uh, some open slots. for Today, Thursday, last time I checked? Yes, it is. He was arrested Monday, charged with crimes that allegedly occurred in Rickards Middle School over the past school year, reported in May. An 11-year-old girl told her mother that Levinson fondled her during class. The mother reported the incident to the school. Levinson was immediately reassigned to a desk job while detectives conducted an investigation. He was arrested and released Tuesday in a $35,000 bond. Detectives think there might be other victims. They're checking into it. And the Sun Sentinel is, like I said, a little on the slow side. This is from CommonDreams.com, Common Dreams News Center. Derek Z. Jackson writes, No faith in Bush's war on Iraq. 
Invading Iraq is not a faith-based initiative. This is shocking considering the self-proclaimed piety of President Bush. We get more federal manna to help the wayward and the downtrodden. Congress has been so slow to rubber stamp the New Testament that the president has resorted to divine intervention. He's going behind Capitol Hill's back trying to tweak regulations and educating religious groups on how to fool government regulators by applying for funds under non-religious names. The first commandment, according to the president's own words, is government must expedite and stand on the side of faith-based programs. In a video speech to the Southern Baptist Convention, Bush quoted Martin Luther Kuhn Jr. as saying, the church is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. Bush told the throng, you have never believed in separating religious faith from political life. Baptists believe, as American founders did, that religious faith is the moral anchor of American life. As the president itches to rain bombs on Baghdad, never in his reign has the church been so separated from the state and indiscernible as his moral anchor. It's truly because, is it truly because he has irrefutable proof that Saddam Hussein is going to pump poisons into our subways, air ducts, and aquifers, or is he driven by more primitive desires of revenge? In 1993, Bush's father, on a victory tour of Kuwait after the Gulf War, was the alleged target of an assassination plot by the Iraqi intelligence service. The plot was broken up, and President Clinton punished Iraq by firing 23 Tomahawk missiles at its intelligence headquarters. Three missiles missed their targets, reportedly killing at least eight civilians. The fact that his father was saved and that Iraq was already attacked with death penalty justice has obviously not been enough for the Bush family. Last month on CNN, Bush Sr. said, I hate Saddam Hussein. I have nothing but hatred in my heart for him. The junior Bush, while saying that other nations are at risk of attack from Hussein, said, But there's no doubt that this hatred is mainly... Let me try it again. There's no doubt his hatred is mainly directed at us. After all, this is the guy who tried to kill my dad. Daddy. <laughs> Did you hear when he said that? No. It was uh, really embarrassing. Since hate can escalate into an all-consuming inferno, many church and leaders have tried to dampen the fires of Bush. Bush has solid support for a unilateral first strike invasion from the National Association of Evangelicals in the Southern Baptist Convention, but a vast universe of other churches say there is still time to avoid war. In the last three weeks, the World Council of Churches, the U.S. National Council of Churches, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and many state councils of churches have urged Bush not to wage war, at least not for now. They've urged the White House to exhaust all peaceful means of weapons inspections and getting Hussein to destroy the weapons. While all the church groups acknowledge Hussein's bloodlust, they said that doesn't justify going out of our way to shed new blood. We don't need to march down the path to Armageddon, said Bob Edgar, General Secretary of the National Council of Churches. A preemptive strike by the U.S. presents to the world a model of aggression that may encourage other nations to attack neighboring countries that threaten them. The World Council of Churches said war as a method of settling disputes is incompatible with the teaching and example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Under the sovereignty of God, no nation or group of nations is entitled to prosecute vengeance against another, nor is any nation entitled to make unilateral judgments and take unilateral actions that lead to the devastation of another nation and the massive suffering of its people. The president of the U.S. Conference of Bishops, Wilton Gregory, wrote to Bush, We respectfully urge you to step back from the brink of war and help lead the world to act together to fashion an effective global response to Iraq's threats that conforms with traditional moral limits on the use of military force. Bush was happy to use the churches when it suited his political purpose of replacing federal obligations to the poor with charity and noblesse oblige. Bush has said, charity, Church and charity, synagogue and mosque lend our communities their humanity, and they'll have an honored place in our plans. With Daddy Bush still burning about Saddam Hussein and Junior burning with desire and perhaps revenge, the church has no place in these plans. The new commandment from Bush is, the government must expedite this war. Faith-based organizations, you stand aside. Wrote Derek G. Jackson, uh, Z. Jackson, whatever his name is, and printed in the Boston Globe yesterday. 
How do you like that? I like it. So Eric is still working on this thing. It's a work in progress, right? Well, I think we're going to close it out yet in case uh, somebody faxed, but they didn't. But they haven't. We have no other names, bad uh, hair pieces? Nope. Well, how the hell would people know unless they look it up somewhere? I mean, most of these well, people... We came up with a whole bunch off the top of our head this morning. Yeah, but we off the top of our head. Oh, sorry. See, I think Bob Eisenberg's at a disadvantage here because we, we have nothing on any website anywhere where they can take a peek at that thing. In addition to which, that was his old one, which I think we... Uh, too bad we don't have old pictures of that. Yeah, the, the new muskrat, and improved one you haven't seen. When he was doing the muskrat ramble. Yes, I have seen oh. the new and improved one. You're wrong about that. I have seen the new one. Much better. Still kind of embarrassing, but in his case. The former caregivers of little Relia Wilson, who's disappearing... This is from the Palm Beach Post, by the way. The former caregivers of little Relia Wilson, whose disappearance exposed disarray in Florida's child welfare agency, were arrested on fraud charges yesterday for allegedly stealing more than $14,000 in pubic assistance from the state. Geraldine and Pamela Graham, who are sisters, were arrested on several charges related to Relia's disappearance along with Geraldine Graham's adult son and daughter, the FDLE B. San. Geraldine Graham, who was arrested under the name Geraldine Smith, was charged with seven counts of public assistance fraud and one count each of forgery, driver's license fraud, title fraud, and making a false affidavit. She was being held on $600,000 bail. It was not immediately known why she was arrested under a second name. Pamela Graham was charged with one count of grand theft, five counts of welfare fraud, and six counts of aiding and abetting public assistance fraud. Geraldine Graham's son, Leo Epson, was charged with grand theft and making a false statement, while her daughter, Jacqueline Epson, was charged with public assistance fraud. The state attorney scheduled a news conference to discuss the arrest. Bail information for Pamela Graham and the absence was not immediately available. These individuals who had close contact with Willie engaged routinely in fraud and falsification of official documents for their personal gain, Governor Jeb Bush said. Pamela Graham's attorney, Joshua Fisher, said he hadn't spoken to his client and couldn't comment on the arrest. Rilia, whose sixth birthday was last month, lived with Geraldine Graham, who had claimed to be her paternal grandmother, and Pamela Graham, who had legal custody from April 2000 till January 2001. That's when Geraldine Graham said a state child welfare worker took her away for evaluation, never to be seen again. The little girl was supposed to receive monthly state visits, but wasn't reported missing until last April 25th because of a... ...her no more. Speaking of uh, coming up with cash, the California Supreme Court... You're going to love this story, because uh, you're a hard-ass bitch. I'm a bitch? You're a, you're a bitch. Okay. And a prick. Yeah. And, and a dickhead. Well, you'll say, well, it rhymes with, the California Supreme Court ordered authorities yesterday to show why actor Robert Blake should not be granted an immediate bail hearing while awaiting trial for the murder of his wife. Now, am I right? Don't you like that? Eh. The court ordered the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, which has custody of Blake, to file an answer by this coming Monday. The order indicated that unless authorities show adequate reason, a bail hearing should be held. Blake's lawyers had asked the court to review a ruling by a superior court judge who declined to hold bail hearing before a court appearance set for November. The 69-year-old actor has been jailed since his April 18 arrest, faces a preliminary hearing November 13 to determine if there's sufficient evidence for him to stand trial. We are hopeful now that he'll get out on bail, said Blake's lawyer, Harold uh, Harlan Brown. Sandy Gibbons, a spokeswoman for the L.A. County District Attorney's Office, said prosecutors will file a reply by Monday. Blake is accused of murder. Well, we already know about that, about poor Bonnie Lee. Poor Bonnie Lee, poor misunderstood Bonnie Lee. Yeah. Prosecutors earlier filed a motion that argued that Blake is not eligible for bail because of the lying in wait allegation. Murder with lying in wait special circumcises is a capital crime, the prosecution brief stated. The California Constitution denies such a defendant bail. Blake's legal team had challenged the constitutionality of the lying in wait statute. He's offered to post a million dollars in bail. Well, we'll take it. We'll hold it. We'll hold it and just make sure he comes back, right? He'll I'll let you back. hold 
I'll let you hold half of it, and I'll hold the other half. Okay. We got a fax about James Traficant. We were talking about him this morning. Oh, about let's what... put him on there. They know who he is. He had a lot of publicity. James fax... Traficant. I'll, I'll fax it. It's, uh, it's pretty. Who not only had to leave uh, Congress, but also uh, had to go to jail, directly to jail. Ohio congressman who had a little, little bit of a problem here and there. Didn't he go to jail? I don't know. Yes, he did. He absolutely did. All right. Trust me when I tell you. I think for a long time. 926 at 560 WQAM. There's never, ever been a better time to buy a new home or refinance that existing one than right now. How about a rate of 3.95%? That's correct. The financial group can offer you an unprecedented 3.95%. If you want to find out more about how this works, all you have to do is pick up that phone and call financial group at their toll-free number, 1-800-940-LEND. That's 1-800-940-5363. The money you're going to save is unbelievable. Think about it. You can get yourself a $100,000 loan for only 450 bucks a month or a $200,000 loan for only 950 bucks a month. The process is simple. You're going to save yourself thousands of dollars this year and every year for a long time. So pick up the phone and call the good people at Financial Group at 1-800-940-LEND. There's never been a better or smarter time to get yourself a low interest rate. Call Financial Group and you'll be on your way to saving a lot of cash. Financial Group, an equal housing lender. Credit restrictions do apply and rates are subject to change. So call now, 1-800-940-LEND. That's 1-800-940-5363. <laughs> Sports Radio 560 QAM. Neil Young. It's the all-new KFC. Now you have two kinds of Kentucky Fried Chicken to choose from. There's the original recipe with secret herbs and spices, and the new recipe with one secret herb. Is that a joint, man? Heck, the Colonel smoked it. What kind of joint is this, man? Off the heavy duty joint, man. That's that's why that's why folks call it. That's why folks call it finger licking good. The all-new KFC. Most most folks most most folks. Uh, we do chicken. Right. 9.31. So P.D. Lenny tells me this morning he's got the same drug dealer that Todd Dreck used to use in Davies, Steve M. <laughs> yeah, you were out of the room when he was going, pop, pop, pop. He, he must have really? some extra supply today, I'll tell you, because he was wound up like an alarm clock. I wonder if he's dry like everybody else is. He was a lunatic, P.D. Lenny, this morning, more so than usual. Oh, and the auditors are in here, pop, 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 on the station. The sailors, uh, you know, any second they're going to be selling that joint. That place, I mean. So, and evidently, hopefully, the new owners will put us either into a different building or uh, do something. Or just pay us all off. Sounds good to me. Oh, especially with that great new contract you've got. <laughs> That's another reason you've got no chance of getting a new contract out of them. Because if the place is really up for sale, I mean, there's no chance they're making any new contracts. Ask Muff if she got a new contract when they brought him back out of the uh, loony bin. I think the answer is no. I don't think so. You might ask. So, anyway, speaking of that building this morning before the show, and, of course, in the middle of all this excitement here today, I almost forgot about it. You had the little excitement of your own down there. Right. They had the elevator, the uh, QAM elevator, <laughs> which is the laughing stock of the human race. How many times have I said that the they must uh, be paying off the inspector, whoever owns that building? Right. You know how they have to put that certificate in the elevator, inspected by uh, Moishi Pupik. You know uh, they got to be paying them off because that thing never worked. In fact, you know when it really started going downhill bad, <laughs> no, was when I the day I dropped that bomb. <laughs> For, since that day, it's never been the same again. It's been like a little off kilter. It's a thrill ride. I think I knocked it off its moorings just a little, just a uh, degree or two. At any rate, so this morning the elevator was stuck on the second floor. And here's a whole bunch of people downstairs just jonesing to get up to the third floor to get up to QAM and power wherever the hell they were working. And couldn't get up there. Well, let me give you one clue as to why. Is it still busted? Yes. 
Let me give you one clue. He's had a little bit of a dilemma down there. <laughs> Poor fat boy. Hey, Pally. By the fat way. Fat boy got a little bit of a problem. He's down there uh, on the main floor, which leads into a great story here. See, I was thinking about that again when I saw this story from the, uh, where is this from? Wherever the hell it's from. It, I guess the Washington, oh, UPI. Imagine in the event of a fire in a high-rise building, a number of giant chutes sprouting from the structure through which people slide to safety. Can't you just see that? Now, this wouldn't help getting up. Yeah, I've, they actually uh, showed a demonstration of one of those on uh, some news show. Yeah. Now, can't you just see uh, about six <laughs> people getting together and shoving Fat Boy through there? <laughs> oh. It'd have to be like some pretty uh, heavy-duty big chutes. <laughs> a clog. The prototype for such... Yeah, he'd have to be... I don't know how you do that. He'd have, gonna say, have, have to, to be butter, last. You have to butter his ribs. <laughs> Oh, after butter his buns, you have to get him through there, and then you get the broom handle. Oh. The prototype for such a system was unveiled Tuesday before an appreciative assembly of reporters and photographers, normally a tough audience to impress, at Washington's Omni Shoreham Hotel. From 11 stories up, men and women swished through a giant tube. Don't you love that? They swished through a giant tube made of fire-resistant fabric girded with steel cables, emerging at ground level to general applause. You know, kind of like they have at uh, tennis tournaments, very or a golf golf tournament, very polite. The device resembles a slide one might find at a water park, but bigger. Oh, thank God it's bigger, fat boy. The developers of the Advanced Modular Evacuation System see it as the first major breakthrough in building safety since the invention of the fire escape. District of Columbia Deputy Fire Chief Mike Smith hailed the development. It takes firefighters with full equipment an average of two or three minutes per floor to ascend a building, he said. Because of widespread budget cuts, fire departments are being asked to do more with less. This will help, he added, by uh, saying that in the late 19th century, the idea of stepping out of a building under something that was hung on the side by bolts must have appeared strange also, meaning the uh, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think it's kind of strange to step out of, out of your thing? Arik Bensby, spokesman for the Advanced Education Systems, Evacuation Systems, based in Tel Aviv and Hong Kong, told UPI that company chairman Ellie Neer came up with the Idea for the system after his son, Ophir, was trapped in the top floor of a hotel during a fire. Ophir was rescued, but it occurred to Neer that existing procedures for evacuating people from high-rise structures were inadequate. He started to think about innovative ways of getting people out of buildings faster. The system is packaged into a relatively small, unobtrusive container, which is fitted into the walls of buildings. As the name indicates, it's modular, so you can put several on each floor. You can put them on numerous floors, depending upon occupancy. When the fire alarm is activated, the system deploys automatically. And I'm thinking of that day that you had the fire alarm there, and oh, poor yeah. fat boy, uh, that was that I was sad. Slide down three. Wouldn't that be great? Here. Just pop that thing out of the wall and just slide his fat ass right down there. You go first, Pally. Apparently, some kinks need to be worked out. In Tuesday's demonstration, a man on the ground deployed the chute by pulling on a rope. A pamphlet distributed to reporters explained that steel cables are attached to the chute, one on the top and the rest on the bottom, forming a winch system for winding the cables into a compact receptacle where the chute is stored. To deploy the system, the spring ejects and unfolds the chute to ground level where it needs to be anchored. Adam Sieg Siegel of Rabinowitz Media told UPI that first responders, building managers, and even tenants would be trained in securing the bottom of the chute to a pre-designed spot. Ames has offered to drill prospective clients on how to do this. In an emergency, the chute can be secured to a tree or a vehicle. Evidently, they had a little bit of a problem. They did. Asked about the most difficult obstacles they had to overcome. They said that the material doesn't hurt you when you slide down. Second, that the system not take up a lot of space in the building. Well, it doesn't go on in the story. It doesn't tell us how the embarrassing problems that they have. Maybe a couple of people got stuck in there. They just don't want to tell us about it because it's bad for business. Maybe they had a couple of people like Fat Boy. So somebody says, I vote James Traficant 
as the worst effing rug of all time. He's on there. Okay, thank you very much, Pally. That's the one we had from the audience. I think we got it covered, so to speak, and the bald spot, too. Yeah, Eric's working on it right now. Who do you think has the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Sam Donaldson, Aaron Brown, Bob Eisenberg, who's a guy. He won't get any votes because unless they know him. Mo Howard David, and like I said, if you want to see Mo's piece, just go to uh, QAM.com and check out our hosts and take a look at that thing. Willard Scott, doi, 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 doi. Marv Albert, Henry Frained, F-R-A-I-N-D, the former Dade County School Supervisor, got his ass canned and then traumatic to discuss slavery in front of them. This was an, at an anti-racism meeting. The dozen or so whites and a couple of Asians, mainly interpreters and members of non-governmental groups, left without protest. The more than 200 delegates from several countries voted overwhelmingly for the restriction, with about 50 abstaining officials said the event was organized by various non-governmental organizations. This is an African family occasion, and therefore they should not be allowed to sit down and talk with us, said Garadina Gambay, spokesman for the British delegation. Conference chairwoman Jewel Crawford of the U.S. said, There are a number of black people who have been traumatized by white people, and they suffer psychologically and emotionally, and as a result of that trauma, some of them did not care to discuss their issues in front of them. They have issues. But Jean Violet Baptiste, spokeswoman for the Guyana-based African Cultural and Development Association, said, Organizers should have made clear that only blacks were welcome. You can't have people come all this way and then ask them to leave. You think she said ax? Alexa. A major issue at the meeting is a plan by black activists from the Caribbean and North America to sue France for making Haiti pay millions of dollars for recognition of its independence nearly two centuries ago. Yeah, let's sue those frogs, those bastards. Attorney General Mia Motley of Barbados urged delegates to build upon last year's U.N. conference against racism in South Africa, which recognized slavery and its slave trade as a crime against humanity. The meeting, titled African and African Descendants World Conference Against Racism, was hosted by the government of Barbados. Organizers included the Congress Against Racism Barbados and the U.S.-based Congress of People of African Descent. The World Conference Against Racism, but no ladies allowed. How do you like that? Huh? It's always that way, you know? Yeah. The black uh, college fund, the uh, black this and a black that. And as soon as anybody says, well, let's start a white, aha, uh -huh. Ku Klux Klan, man, John Birchers, racists, crackers, stuff like that. I wonder if they uh, served crackers at that conference. Wrong. No, they, they just kicked them out. 20 till 10 at 560 WQM. We got the mad dog at 1. We got Hank with a full four hours again today. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope he's been working out for this, including Bino. <laughs> Between 5 and 6, hang from 3 to 7. Shiva's Regal talking hardball with the crow, 7 o'clock. That'd be a good, that'd be a great poll question. Who would you rather hear, the crow, Joe, or Mo? Then at 8.17, we got the uh, Giants and the Braves, game two in their series, which the Giants won the first game of that, 8 to 5. Eddie K after the baseball and Joe and Mark overnight. Joe, Mo, or the crow? Oh, and then of course we got two Joes, you know what? We yes, got Joe is. Costello and we also got... Joe's the guy. So Joe, Joe, Mo, and crow. We'll and that poll. Joe Rose. And Joe Rose. Joe, 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 Moe, and Crow. Hey, does this sound like you overworked? Yes. Underpaid? Yes. Stuck in a really crappy dead-end job? Yes. Underappreciated? Uh-huh. Well, do yourself a favor. Pick up that phone and call the good people at Fast Train right now at 866-FAST-TRAIN. We'd give you Todd Drex's uh, home phone number, too, because he's got some good drug dealers for you. The demand for certified computer professionals has never been better, and Fast Train can help. That's what Petey Lenny said. And Fast Train can help you achieve a new career in as little as four months. Fast Train is South Florida's largest certified Microsoft training center with locations for them for you now in Pembroke Pines, in Fort Lauderdale, in Kendall, that brand new one, and, of course, in Miami. 
Fast Train offers can be in day, evening, and weekend classes. they got a full-time job placement department with over 30 years' experience getting people in jobs. So if you're overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, stuck in a really marginal, dead-end job, don't wait another second. Pick up the phone and call Fast Train toll-free at 866-FAST-TRAIN. Think about it. In just four short months, you'll be on your way to becoming a high-paid computer professional in a career with great earning potential. Take my advice. Pick that thing up right now on the phone, too, and call Fast Train, 866-FAST-TRAIN. That's 866-FAST-TRAIN, or check them out on the web if you like it, fasttrain.com. This is Sports Radio 560, QAM. Neil, God. Welcome back to the glittering pageantry of the Mohammed and David Show. We have a full docket today, <laughs> including the cavalcade of articulate athlete interviews. You know that pipe smoker's still at it. What? 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 Singing those songs, making fun of me. They make fun of me all the time. I don't know why they don't adore me. Yeah, dear, everything will be all right, Mo. Get your hands off me, you fairy. You queer, you tube chomper. Real men don't touch, only during the game. Yes, master. They want singing. I'll give them singing. Get on a piano. Over there. Okay, Mo. Now, hit it. Back in my day, men were straight. Being gay is hip today. That's why I can't tolerate his guzzling gay. Sportholes were in back then. Stop it, you moron! What's the matter, Mo? My wig fell off again. Okay. All right, where were we? Sportholes were in back then. I'll take it from here. The guys that like to worship men. Good thing we won't see Poland nor Wayland and Adam again. <laughs> Didn't need to soothe prostates. Or to tickle Harry Taint. Jesus Christ, I really hate. Jizz Goslin you know, it's interesting, that line about um, C-SPAN with the audio from C-SPAN. That was kind of a cute line. The only thing is, how does he know what we're doing on this show if he doesn't listen? Somebody told him. Oh, he must have heard it through the grapevine? Because I, I certainly wouldn't want him to come off as being, you know, somebody who's less than candid. He oh, would fit in. He'd fit in a QM a lot better if that were the case. He, now, what's that deal with that age thing again? I don't know. What? The age thing. The age thing. When are we going to get to the bottom of the uh, deal on that about oh, his the age? the world will never know. I see. I guess if you want to hide your bald spot, you probably want to hide your birth certificate, now, too. Carlos seems to think that he can research this. Well, you know something? That's his new assignment. Now, before <laughs> we get to another assignment for Carlos, let me just say this. Because that bit I just played, I played it right off of the... I could have played it off anywhere, but I played it off of the new Book of Brian disc, Restitution and Mo Bits, Volume 1, which has got 40 sensational things on it. In fact, it's got even got a couple of drop-ins on there, like you have your own personal version of... of where is it? Look at that. It won't, it won't you up. You want to know why I went on strike? Because of what I was about to say. The fact... There it is. The fact that it's not on our website yet. Oh. 
It's got the old Boca Bryant thing, uh, Arab uh, Arabian melodies or whatever that is, which is also very good. And I see we had a couple more people buy that yesterday since they're probably fearful that that's going to vanish and should have vanished yesterday. But I don't see the new one on there yet, which well, we promised everybody was going to be on there on Tuesday. See, what happens, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm defensive here, but talking about liars, people make liars out of me. See, if I'm going to lie by intent, then I have no problem with that. If it's a lie I want to tell. But when other people make me into liars, then I start getting like raising four eyebrows. You know what I mean? They were confabulating till two in the morning, is uh, what I heard. So I don't know why it's not. There. Who, who's the they? Carlos and Eric? No, Eric and uh, Brian. Yeah. Well, they may have been confabulating, but uh, you know, I hope they had a good time doing that. Squirt, squirt. But it didn't get the job done with the uh, new uh, CD, with the new uh, thing on there, because I'm sure a lot of people are just chomping into it to get that. E even if only just so they can play it for their friends, play that. Doi, 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 doi. Just that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But at any rate, it'll be on there any second now. So once Carlos gets that all taken care of, and then, of course, he's working behind the scenes to take over the website, once we get all of that, then he can start researching Mo's birthday. Because we'd like to be, although we do know his birthday, in fact, here's a clue for you, June 3rd, because that's the last time he listened to this show, Alleged. Oh, the, that's uh, the day before my birthday. How about that? Well, happy birthday to both of you, okay, and happy anniversary to Mrs. Mo. And what was the other thing today? Oh, it's her birthday and their anniversary. Yes. Well, happy birthday and happy anniversary. How do you like that? Even though she hates me like poison. That's okay. We don't take it personal. We understand it's his business. I've never met that lady, okay? She might be a very nice lady. In fact, uh, anybody would put up with that for all those years. How many years they've been married? What do you say they've been married? 50 years? He didn't say. I see. Who do you think has the worst-looking hairpiece in the world is our poll question today, and already we got 41 votes. The thing just popped up on here only moments ago. Mo Howard David, who just seems to be... Running away with all of these things. He's got 12. Sam Donaldson is tied for second with uh, James Traffic. Oh, look at that. I just changed again. Moe's got 15. James Trafficant 13. Although at least James Trafficant was funny. You know what I mean? No, I only saw the one speech. You didn't think he was funny? I thought he was a panic. He was hysterical. I talked about uh, they could sniff his crotch and this and that. He was, <laughs> that is funny. he was a very funny guy. We need a lot more people like him in Congress to lighten things up a little bit. Instead of all these deadly, serious, phony pontificators in there. Mo with 15, James Trafficant 13, Sam Donaldson 11. Sam got my vote. He's got he's got the worst. Marv Albert 6, Burt Reynolds has a pair. Chuck Heston's got two, but he forgot who they were. Henry Frayne has got one. Bob That's Eisenberg's mine. got one. <laughs> that must be an inside job. Oh, that must be yours. No, I, you voted, vote? I voted for Henry Frayne. And Willard Scott's got one. Everybody else is still in the uh, oh! zero column, but it's early yet. It's very early in the running. 10 before 10 at 560 WQAM, U.S. hardline on Iraq leaves full-scale invasion a hair trigger away, says The Guardian in England. Washington last night revealed its intention to use U.N. weapons inspections as a possible first step towards a military occupation of Iraq by sending in troops, sealing off exclusion zones, and creating secure corridors throughout the country. In a leaked proposal for a U.N. resolution drafted by the U.S. with help from British officials, the Bush administration is seeking to transform the inspections process into a coercive operation. The resolution would place a full-scale invasion of Iraq on a hair trigger, authorizing, that's with an S, U.N. member states to use all necessary means to restore international peace and security if Iraq does so much as make an omission in the weapons inventories it presents to the Security Council. In other words, like if they say they had eight nukes, and it turns out that we find a ninth, that's it. Or a pen knife. If they said they didn't have any uh, sharp instruments and they had like a pen knife or like a pair of nail clippers or a box cutter, that's it. Nuke them. Weapons inspectors would operate out of bases inside Iraq where they'd be under the protection of U.N. troops. 
U.N. forces or the forces of member state would enforce the no-fly and no-drive zones around a suspected weapon site, preventing anything from being removed before inspection. Diplomats at the U.N. said there was no doubt that U.S. troops would play a leading role in any such enforcement, allowing the Pentagon to deploy forces inside Iraq even before the hostilities got underway. The release of the draft helped Washington regain momentum in its Security Council talks a day after Iraq took the initiative by agreeing to inspections under existing U.N. guidelines. That agreement was welcomed by France and Russia, but dismissed as empty by the U.S. and Britain. Jack Straw, the Foreign Secretary of the Brits, called the existing guidelines defective. Don't you love him and that name, Jack Straw? I wish I had that name. Do you know what he looks like? Straw. He looks just like Jack Straw. Got glasses and a tweed suit, you know. He looks like a real Brit, Jack Straw. The resolution will be debated over the next few days among the permanent five Security Council members. President George Bush's negotiating position was bolstered yesterday when the House of Representatives agreed to that War Powers resolution, handing him an open-ended authority to take military action against Iraq. The Senate, where there was tougher opposition to such a blanket authorization, was reported to be moving towards support of the White House line also, under the party line. Under the U.S. draft, Security Council member states could send their own inspectors into Iraq to operate alongside the official U.N. teams, and these extra inspectors would have the same rights and protections accorded other members of the team. Member states also could recommend to U.N. teams which sites to search and how to do it. Iraqi officials could be taken out of the country along with their families for questioning in order to remove the fear of Iraqi government reprisals. The Iraqi Deputy Prime Minister, that obnoxious Tarek Aziz, said there was no need for a new resolution and that the existing resolutions were good enough for inspectors to do their job. John Pike the head of globalsecurity.org, a Washington military think tank, said the resolution was worded in such a way that Iraq was almost certain to reject it, even if the alternative was invasion. I could never imagine Iraq agreeing to this. If you're going to be invaded, you might as well make the invading force shoot their way in. It's the sort of proposal meant to be rejected, Mr. Pike said. In other words, kind of a dog and pony show. British officials said the draft represented more of a discussion paper for the five permanent members than a formal document to be circulated within the full Security Council. British experts worked alongside their U.S. counterparts at the State Department in the early stages of its drafting, but it was then handed to the White House and the Pentagon, who added some of its tougher elements. A Downing Street, uh, Street spokesman said, we're not going to comment till further resolutions are published. But it was clear that London was uneasy with some of the items in the draft, especially the use of troops to quarantine suspect sites and to guard the inspectors' routes to the sites. One British official pointed out that it was put be within square brackets and could be jettisoned later. The intention, the intention behind the clause, the official said, was to avoid the situation under earlier re inspection regimes whereby inspectors were coming in the front door and the kit was moving out the back. The kit. You ever see the kit? No. Rhymes with Schmidt. Further anxiety about the U.S. position came from Chris Patton, the EU's Commissioner for External Relations, in a speech in Chicago. Today he's going to say if the U.S. were to fall prey to the temptation to act alone and outside the framework of international order, even for the best of motives, it would be setting down a very dangerous path, he said. Diplomats in New York and Washington said it was clear there was a split between the State Department and the Bush administration's chicken hawks over how far the U.S. should compromise, especially over the threat of force. So the beat goes on, man. We just want our foot in the door, okay? Just open up that door. Let us, just let us in. We're not going to do nothing bad. Just open up the door and let us in. Here's that Schwarzer story from Milwaukee again. Dark folks kill another dark folks. This is just uh, makes me want to puke. Eight of the 12 youths accused of beating a handyman to death with bats, shovels, a tree limb, and a baby stroller have confessed to taking part in the crime, Milwaukee police said yesterday. All 12 are in custody. Four other youths are being sought in the case. Police Chief Arthur Jones said police are recommending the state charge most, if not all, of the 16 who range in age from 10 to 18 with first-degree intentional homicide. Oh! The district attorney's not yet decided on whether to try them as adults. I think the answer is yes. The handyman, Charlie Young, Jr., 36, died of his injuries Tuesday night. He had been in critical condition since he was assaulted Sunday night. 
The beating happened in the Northside neighborhood around 11 p.m. Sunday after a 10-year-old boy was encouraged by a friend to throw an egg at Young, who was walking by, and hit him in the shoulder, Jones said. Young grabbed the boy's 14-year-old friend and punched him in the mouth, knocking out a tooth, Jones said. Authorities said another boy then hit Young over the head with a baby stroller. The 14-year-old called for more help, and more than a dozen other youths, all male, began chasing Young, authorities said. The group caught him on a porch of a nearby house where they beat him with baseball bats, shovels, broom handles, a tree limb, a folding chair, a plastic milk crate, and a rake. Jones said. According to a 40-page police report, the 10-year-old told police he had young four times with a two-foot-long tree limb, twice in the back and twice in the legs. Another assailant said he hit the victim four times with the metal end of the shovel while Young was lying on his side, striking the back of his head, his chest, his back and legs, while one of his companions was stomping on his head, the police report said. It's a peer pressure thing, Jones said. It's a, come on, let's do this, and they got involved in it, and certainly I believe they knew what they were doing was wrong. Some of the boys told police that Young pulled a knife at one point during the assault, but one investigator told CNN Wednesday no such weapon was ever recovered, and police don't believe it. it's a pile of crap. How do you like that? Huh? I say fry all their ass right on goddamn uh, Donahue. Get those numbers up, even though he's against the death penalty. That'll, you know something? If he could get, no, seriously, if he can get 80 right. share, I guarantee he'd change his tune in a heartbeat. He'd change his tune in a real heartbeat. Poor old Phil. Who did he have on there last night? He had some doddering. Ah, and the poor Phil. Very sad. Mo Howard David's hairpiece has got 24 votes. James Traffic had 20. It looks like a two-horse race, a two-headed race. Sam Donaldson, 14. Marv Albert, 10. I think Marv ought to join the fray, don't you? All right. He can bite. 50. Huh? He's a biter, you know. His kind of like, uh, yeah, when he when he bites, it kind of like slips off to one side. Kind of like that piece that Boca Brian wears. It kind of <laughs> slips off to the side. Kind of like in La Caja Full. Remember the one that uh, she it was wearing? Yes. I saw that again a few nights ago, and I, when it got to that scene at the dinner table, I started laughing so hard, like uncontrollably, you know, where you thought you were going to choke to death because mm -hmm. you're laughing so hard, mm -hmm. even though I've seen it about a hundred times. Degenerate. Oleomed is a great product to help you keep in the pink of good health, man. It'll keep it pink. Oleomed contains pharmaceutical grade olive oil along with a lot of great things. There are vitamins in there, minerals and herbals. There's a concoction for each different part of your health. There's one capsule designed specifically to help your heart, one for your blood pressure, one to control your cholesterol, one for your prostate, one for your circulatory system, your digestive, your endocrine system, your skin and your bones, and even your mind, all using the benefits of the finest, the purest, the uh, most decent olive oil that man has ever discovered. And Oleomed helps men and women as well. Separate products for each. If you want to get more information about Oleomed, just call their toll-free number, 1-866-OLEOMED. That's 1-866-O-L-E-O-M-E-D. Or you can pick some up today anywhere in town. Whole Food Markets, Walgreens, Sedano's Be Carrying It, and Navarro Pharmacies as well. And don't forget, you can order their product and get more information about it as well on their nifty website, oleomedamerica.com. Live, live, and local. We are Sports Radio 560. QAF. Another dick in the White House? Smoke the pot, smoke the pot, some of the men smoke the pot. Oh! Twenty games out, what's the point? Who can blame them if they need a joint? Cause Bobby Valentine's Mets just can't succeed without a nickel bag of premium weed. Rolling papers, roach clips and a water bong. Oh! Maybe next year during the draft well, instead of beer and hot dogs, vendors will be selling grass under a cloud of smoke. And it won't be a foul ball that could knock you on your ass. Hey, take another talk. Cause the New York Mets just wanna get high. 
that plays in the sky. at 560 WQM. Happy Thursday to you. Got some great news. Oh! I'm looking at it right now. There's uh, W and Condoleezza. Restitution and Mo Bits Volume 1. It's on NeilRogers.com right now. How do you like that? Yes. Are you looking at it? Oh, that? No. And I just, I don't want to get on Eric's ass now that he got that on there and did such a beautiful job. It's right on top. It's right above the pole. But Aaron Brown is not. See, E-R-I-N is like a woman. is a lady. I don't think this Aaron Brown is a lady. Aaron, a man, is like A-A-R-O-N, like my uncle Muggsy Solomon, Aaron. A-A-R-O-N. I just mentioned that in passing because I know Eric's very particular about his spelling, even though it's usually wrong. A-A-R-O-N. That's why he don't have any votes, because they don't know who the hell Aaron E-R-I-N is. That's like a, a chick, like Aaron Summers, right? Right. A-A-R-O-N. But other than that, Eric. Carlos called it that way. Huh? Carlos actually ponied up for the blame there. Yeah, that was Carlos screwed up. Okay, writes Aaron with an E. Man, you really... You better get with it, mister. Of course, Carlos Dono, because it's generally a Jewish name. Most most people named Aaron are Jewish, and Carlos don't know any Jews. Well, well I one. think, beside me. Wh who's that? Which one do you know? You. No, he beside knows, me. Knows uh, how about Bob Eisenberg? You know him? No, he well, hasn't. I met him today. Yeah. No, and and Hank Goldberg? <laughs> you, know, you know the humper? Yeah, well, that's right. You haven't been there long enough to meet all the people in the building. Robert Greeper. Bobby Griefer is a good Jewish boy, a little bit too Jewish, if you ask me. In fact, he's kind of like our counterpart to Jew Lieberman. <laughs> Only he's a Republican Jew Lieberman, but, you know, I think pretty much the same difference. They had him on last night. He makes my skin crawl, man. He he was there with the Bushmeister. You know, they had that little group of uh, senators, and they were all, like, sucking around, you know, kissing up, and all that crap. See, real Jews don't wear the whole thing on their sleeve, okay? And I, I think that they ought to force him. Let's have some truth in packaging. Since he's an Orthodox Jew, stop making excuses about why you don't wear the full regalia, the full outfit. I think it would be really cute if he had the headgear on, the, the yarmulke, like an embroidered one, you know, and the uh, the talus, and the tzitzes, and the whole deal. And the payas. And the payas. I think that would be a nice haircut for Jew Lieberman. You know, come out and uh, let us know what you really are there, Jew, instead of like uh, potchking around pretending to be something that you're not, like a uh, political wise guy. You're an idiot. Another disaster for the Democratic Party. In fact, when you look at him, there are so many things you can look at, including the candidate himself, which is Al Gore. And by the way, that pissed off in plantation from last Friday, there's another raspberry for you, okay? Too bad. I make no apologies for what I said about Al Gore. He's a weak sister, man. Every week, he's started his finger out the window to see which way the wind is blowing, reinventing himself. One week, it's Al Gore with a beard. The next week, it's the big, fat Al Gore. Then the week after, it's the not-quite-so-fat Al Gore who's ripping and tearing on Bush. Well, you know, and the fact that he happens to come down on the right side once in a while, that's not relevant because he has... The word that I used to describe him during the campaign, even though I voted for him, 
and even though he won the election and got it stolen from him, the word I used, and I, I, it never was it more true than it is right now about Al Gore, disingenuous. Yeah. That's the word to describe him, disingenuous. No matter what he says, you know it's politically motivated. There, there isn't one kernel of truth in anything he said. So you can be as pissed off in plantation or anybody else out there. I don't really care, okay? You had two crappy candidates, and that's why I'm, we're in the pickle that we're in today. In Britain, Clinton warns Bush on Iraq. There's my man. I say let's bring him back for another four years. Who the hell cares if he gets a little head or a lot of head? Former President Bill Clinton yesterday warned a successor of unwelcome consequences if he launched a preemptive military strike against Iraq. Speaking to a Labor Party conference in England, Clinton sharply criticized the British administrator's foreign policy while endorsing the goal of compelling Iraq to disarm. A preemptive action today, however justified, may come back with unwelcome consequences in the future, Clinton told the group. He urged President Bush to continue to seek U.N. Security Council approval before sending in U.S. forces. I have done this. I've ordered this kind of action, said Clinton, of a military attack. I don't care how precise your bombs and weapons are. When you set them off, innocent people will die. In a speech generally less critical than former Vice President Al Disingenuous Gore's sharp attack of a week ago, Clinton suggested focusing on the fight against the Al-Qaeda terrorist network. Our most pressing challenge is to finish the job, he said. The 42nd president criticized the administration for rejecting the 1997 Kyoto Agreement on Global Warming, as well as the new International Criminal Court to try alleged war criminals and the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. Those policies, says he said, had understandably made Europeans less inclined to trust the Bush administration on Iraq. Clinton said that Iraq's President Saddam Hussein was bobbing and weaving to thwart international inspections. He added we should call his bluff. Prime Minister Tony Blair of Britain, who invited Clinton to speak here, has been Bush's strongest foreign supporter in the campaign against Hussein, and Clinton was lavish in praising his host. But even when extolling Blair, who as leader of the left of center Labor Party as Clinton's ideological soulmate, the former president was indirectly critical of Bush. He praised Blair for working to reunite the world opinion behind a new Security Council resolution demanding unconditional weapons inspections. If he weren't to do this, said Clinton, I doubt if anybody else could. <laughs> little shot there, huh? A little bit. It's kind of like right in those days after 9-11. Remember we were playing like Tony Blair speeches? Yes. Because they were more reassuring to the, like the human race because you can actually put a sentence together as opposed to like like that. Although he didn't name them, Clinton attacked previous Republican administrations for supplying Iraq with materials that may have been used in making biological weapons in the early 1980s, for issuing hardly a peep when Iraqi forces gassed Kurdish civilians in 1988, and for urging Shiite Muslims in southern Iraq to rebel, rebel against Hussein in 1991, and then abandoning them to their fate in the face of a counterattack. How do you like that? See, here's a guy, because he's not running for anything, he's got the balls still, he's got the big balls, that's what Monica said. Let's get that talk show going. What I wouldn't give to have his ass back in there again oh, right man. now. Oh, God. We'd carry him. Kenny Starr and all those right-wing hypocrites, all those phony baloney uh, uh, crotch sniffers. Man, they'd be sucking wind. The speech was welcomed both by Blair supporters and by those who have been critical of the Prime Minister's embrace of U.S. policy, said Alan Simpson, a Labor member of the House of Commons who leads a parliamentary group opposed to military action. I'm surprised because I expected him to come uh, and bang the drum war. I didn't expect him to bang a peace drum. How do you like that? He was, I'm surprised because I expected him to come uh, and bang the drum war. I didn't expect him to bang a peace drum. How do you like that? He was banging the drum of peace. He was banging it. That's Bubba. Everywhere he goes, he's banging it. He's banging somebody or something. The man accused of trying to blow up that transatlantic flight with explosives hidden in his shoes plans to plead guilty to all eight charges against him, his lawyer said yesterday. Attorney Owen Walker said Richard Reed, no relation to Greg, 
He wanted to avoid the publicity of a trial and negative impact it would have on his family. That'd be a great poll question to ask one day. Who's more dangerous, Richard Reed or Greg Reed or Donna Reed? Or Reed Aren't Richards. Who? Reed Richards. Who the hell's that? Fantastic Four. Oh. Uh, Reed, a British citizen, is accused of attempting to kill 197 passengers and crew members aboard that American Airlines flight from Paris to Miami on December 22th. He was overpowered, as we know, by flight attendants and passengers, and the flight was diverted to Boston. Trial is set to begin November 4. Walker said Reed has no disagreement with the facts asserted in the charges, but refused to say if any deal had been made for the reduced sentence. The FBI has said it believes Reed also helped make the shoe bomb from an al-Qaeda bomb maker. He had help. The FBI also said it searched Reed's email accounts and found one in which he described a duty to remove the oppressive American forces from the Muslim land. What I'm doing is part of the ongoing war between Islam and disbelief, he wrote to his mother in the message two days before his arrest. The U.S. Attorney's Office had no immediate comment. After his arrest, authorities said they believe Reed had helped making the shoe bomb and that Reed had been ruled out as the source of a human hair and palm print found on the explosives. Reed insisted to FBI investigators he acted alone. In his motion filed yesterday, Reed said he'd admit to all eight counts, but before he does, he asked the court to remove language from two of the counts that he alleged he received training from al-Qaeda. In statements to law enforcement after his arrest, Reed said he acted because of the U.S. military campaign in Afghanistan and said he had hoped his planned attack would cause Americans to stop traveling, leading to a downturn in the economy, prosecutors said. Reed told the FBI he was driven by anger over the treatment of Muslims in Israel. According to transcripts of the interrogations, he said he traveled in June 2001 to Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque and was angered to see Jews with guns inside. His trip to Jerusalem further emboldened him to act against the West when he witnessed the many checkpoints and travel restrictions on Muslims, one transcript said. Asked why he didn't choose to attack Israel, Reed told investigators, America is the problem. Without America, there would be no Israel. He also said he was worried Palestinian groups would be too paranoid to trust him. In fact, when you look at him, do you think anybody would trust him? No, I don't think his mom trusts him. And you actually kind of have to wonder well, how the hell he got on that plane, you know? I mean, we realize they're doing a pretty crappy job all over the world, and especially in the U.S. of A., but this uh, originated in Paris. How did he get on that plane? Of course, you know, in Paris, the frogs never saw a terrorist that they didn't like. Right. They never saw a scumbag that they didn't embrace, okay? I just mentioned that in passing because the frogs <laughs> are pigs. Twelve minutes after 10 at 560 WQAM. How's that wig pool coming, huh? Who do you think has got the worst-looking piece in the world? Mo Howard, David, 38. He's off to the races, baby. James Trafficant's got 20. Well, it's changing again. Mo with 41. I don't know if they can catch him. James Trafficant, 26. Sam Donaldson, 23. Marv Albert, 16. Burt Reynolds with 9. Henry Frayne has got 7. He ought to be higher. Willard Scott, 6. And uh, now it goes. Did Aaron Brown ever get uh, respelled and get a vote? No, we spelled it right. He still don't have any vote. They don't know who that is. No. Because only people over the age of 100 watch CNN, like me. And I don't watch it that much. I only like in channel surfing I watch. I watch the C-SPAN. I, no, I kind of like the audio version of C-SPAN. In fact, you know, Book of Brian ought to do us with some classical music in the back and opening for that. And now the audio version of C-SPAN is Uncle Real is his bedtime story. <laughs> I think that's great. See, one thing about us on this show, Mo, is one thing we've got that you don't. It's called an audience. Let me tell you right now about our good friends at Donna Mattress. they got something that the bedding stores don't have and the department stores don't have, and that's a great unbeatable deal on a quality name brand mattress. I mean, you can go to bedding and department stores and buy one, but you'll get ripped off, and you'll have to go through a big song and a dance, and a lot of times you don't even get what you wanted in the first place. Never happened with Donna Mattress. Just that one easy call to 1-800-MATTRESS, like I always do, and you'll get exactly the name brand mattress, the style, the uh, firmness, whatever you're looking for. They got the top names in the business. They got Serta, Sealy, Simmons, and King Coil. No store can match their selection, and of course, nobody matches their exceptionally low everyday prices. No bait and switch. Like I said, exactly the one you want, you get, and you get it when it's convenient for you. You get home delivery. 
like any day of the week, seven days a week, and any two-hour window that's convenient when you're going to be home, like 11 to 1, noon to 2, 1 to 3, 214 to 414, etc. And they give you that 30-day in-home comfort trial to check it out, too. So if your back isn't feeling good, if you're not getting a great night's sleep night after night, you just don't feel the way you ought to. Change that by getting you a great new brand-name mattress at an unbeatable price from the pros at Dial Mattress. Call them right now. You'll be sleeping with a big, fat smile on your puss as soon as tonight. Call 1-800-MATTRESS, 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S, or check them out on that web at mattress.com. My, my, and local. This is Sports Radio 560. UA, UA. Coming up tonight on Inside the Behind the True Hollywood Celebrity Music Biography Profile Story, we take a good, hard, stiff look into stardom. For over a year now, Americans have been on alert, ready to seek out and eliminate one of the most foul, the most hideous blights on the well-being of our nation. That's right. It's the Dell Computer Guy. Uh, I would tie that guy to a board, shove an M80 up his ass, and see if I could blast him out of the Earth's atmosphere. Americans have given a lot of thought as to how they would like to punish the most annoying commercial spokesman ever. Now, if I could, what I would like to do is impale him on his own femur bone and then suck out his brains with a straw. Yes. It is this very attitude of public hostility that has led the Dell Computer Guy into group therapy with his fellow commercial spokespeople. Tonight, you'll see exclusive footage of a typical session led by Dr. Robert Cole. Okay, last time, son, we were talking about your compulsion to be a really irritating asshole. Can we talk more about that? Dude, you're gonna get a Dell. Yes, that's fine. Dude, you're gonna get a Dell. Yes, fine. Can we move on to your friend here? Can you hear me now? Good. Dude, you're gonna get a Dell. Can you hear me now? Good. Look, you guys. Oh, no, please don't no. squeeze the Charmin. No, oh, it's not going to be lucky. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. Shut God, I'd like to impale you on your own femur bones and then suck out your brains with a straw. The Dell Computer Guy. The latest in a long line of annoying It's a big, juicy... Sopping went look at show business. All right. Tonight, I'm inside the behind. You're right, they just keep getting better, each one. And where is the beef, by the way? 20 after 10 at 560 WQAM on a tremendous Thursday. Moe's got 51 votes. Look at that. He's just uh, off to the races, man. He's opened up. He's like secretariat in the stretch, pulling away to a gigantic, uh, un uncatchable lead. Governor Jeb Bush looked at his temporary stay of execution yesterday for female serial killer Eileen Warnos. Uh, after a panel of psychiatrists determined she is not mentally ill. As a result of the finding of competency, I've lifted the stay for death row inmate Eileen Warnos, Bush said in a brief written statement. Eileen Warnos will be executed October 9th. Oh, that's only uh, six days away. Don't Can't forget wait. about that. Gonna Let's have a party. TV. Providing the families of her victims with the justice they've waited for for so long. My thoughts and prayers are with those who have suffered because of her crimes, said the governor. Warnos, a hitchhiking prostitute, was convicted in the early 1990s of killing six businessmen along the highways of north and central Florida. Bush asked three psychiatrists to evaluate her mental competence after her attorney, Rog Singal, said he had grave doubts about her competency to be executed. Under Florida law, if the governor is informed that a person scheduled to be executed might be insane, he must order a psychiatric evaluation. When's he going to get his? When's the rest of his? When's the In fact, maybe we can get a package deal. Maybe we can get a uh, special deal for the entire family of the governor. 
The order lifting the state said the psychiatrist's report showed Warnos had the mental capacity to understand the nature of the death penalty and the reasons why it was imposed upon her. Warnos, 46, whose life has been the subject of a number of books and movies, has said she's ready to die. Good. Last year, she fired her lawyers, dropped her appeals, and volunteered for execution with Bush signing the execution order. She has insisted that she's mentally competent despite the concerns of others. Singal was appointed in June to represent Warnos after she complained about conditions on death row. In a note to the court, she claimed she overheard corrections officers saying they wanted... To... Now, see, this is not funny, okay? But I couldn't help myself. In a note to the court, she claimed she overheard corrections officers saying they wanted to rape her. She also complained of contaminated food, which she claimed was sometimes cooked in dirt. You're right. Rape's not funny. Rape is not funny, okay? And you're the one that made me uh, chuckle a little bit there. Huh? Because I was... You made me chuckle because I was thinking about other things there. When, uh, do, 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 do. Like that. So you better watch yourself, mister, because rape is not funny. I'll tell you something else that's not funny, I guess, living in New York. But I, I, I don't know. Would you want to live in New York now? Uh, no. I mean, no. about 10, 12 million people still want to live there, I guess. But If I was making enough money, I guess I'd risk it. A drunken, disgraced ex-cop who was mad at the world unleashed a barrage of bullets from his Stuyvesant Town apartment yesterday, wounding a preschool teacher as she escorted toddlers and pinned hundreds of people for hours, police said. Pedestrians ran for cover as alleged sniper Brian Berrigan fired a rifle as many as 25 times out the window of his fourth-floor East 14th Street flat during a three-hour siege, police said. This is in today's Daily News. Heavily armed emergency service unit cops, sharpshooters, and helicopters descended on middle-class enclave and busted Berrigan, 33, as he sat in his apartment nursing a half-empty bottle of rum, bemoaning his broken marriage. <laughs> Police said a 22 caliber Marion rifle, a Marlin rifle, did I say Marion? Marlin rifle was found in a closet. Is it Marlin? I don't know. You don't know your guns, mister. You better get with it. You better go to some of them gun shows for advertising on this show. I've been to he was mad at the world, a police source said of Berrigan, who was fired from the NYPD in 1997 after testing positive for cocaine. See, are you following the pattern here? They got him pissed off. <laughs> the preschool teacher, 25-year-old Ayana Reyes, suffered a graze wound to her shoulder and was taken to Bellevue Hospital where she got five stitches. And you know what they say at Bellevue Hospital, don't you? I hate this place. <laughs> Nothing works here. The medications don't work. I've been here for seven years. Nothing works here. I hate this place. Nothing works here. The medications don't work. I've been here for seven years. I hate this place. Nothing works here. I'm feeling great, and I'm just counting my blessings here with my family, Ray said last night from Washington Heights home. I realized this could have been much worse. One of the children could have been hurt. The drama unfolded around 8.30 yesterday morning when people in the 25,000 tenant complex heard what they thought were firecrackers. Police later said the noise apparently was gunfire. Cops were not aware of any disturbance until a 9-11 call at 11.30 yesterday morning reported that Reyes was taking children from the Manhattan Kids Club 2 to a uh, preschool, uh, uh, rather from the school to a playground, had been shot. Paramedics raced to the scene to help Reyes as she and another teacher tried to calm their frightened charges. Eight two-year-olds. Two-year-olds. But before the paramedics could get raised to safety, more shots rang out, forcing them to run for their lives. Within seconds, the normally peaceful apartment complex was transformed into a virtual war zone as more shots followed. Cops wearing body armor surrounded Berrigan's building at 641 East 14th Street between Avenues B and C, and sharpshooters carrying long rifles peered from nearby roofs. Using bullhorns, police warned nervous tenants to stay inside, and cops cordoned off the bustling 14th Street to traffic. About 1 p.m., another round of gunfire erupted, scattering cops and unnerving local people. He was firing at windows. He fired at people, and he fired at the police vehicles, said Police Commissioner Raymond Kelly. 
cowering inside their apartments. Thousands of people watched TV or listened to the radio for updates. It was like we were in prison, said Kimberly Johnson, 35. We were told to stay inside. Police said, get back from your windows. Cops knew the shots came from a window in Berrigan's building facing north and west toward the interior of the complex, but they couldn't immediately determine which apartment they were fired from. Police mounted a top-to-bottom search of the building and at about 2.30 opened the door to Berrigan's apartment after he didn't answer. Cops found Berrigan sitting at his dining room table wearing an FDNY t- uh, FDNY t-shirt surrounded by spent shell casings on the floor. A half-empty bottle of Jamaican rum sat on the table. <laughs> at first, police said, Berrigan insisted I had nothing to do with it. Then he told cops about the rifle in the closet. Police found a pellet gun in plain view and then the rifle hidden under a fur coat. Maybe he wears a fur coat, for all we know. Berrigan told investigators he was a heavy drinker and gambler, that he was depressed because of marital problems, said a high-ranking police source. The father of one snapped, the source said, after his wife threatened to leave him. He snapped, and of course... That is the American effing way, so we got his goddamn gun and start like shooting everybody. Shoot up everybody and make you feel better. Don't you think they've had enough problems in New York for a while now? You'd think. You would think. I mean, you know, take it to somewhere maybe where they deserve it. Well, nobody deserves it. But I mean, somewhere where they haven't had quite so much. Like Utica would be better, you know. Don't hurt anybody, but at least create a little bit of excitement for the folks in Utica. Let's sit back and have a Utica club, you see? <laughs> 1026 at 560 WQAM. Tom Lehman is quite a guy down there at Hallett Pontiac. In fact, Bob Eisenberg and I were talking about Tom just this morning. And Bob said, you know, Tom is a good guy, but he's a little bit on the lazy side down there. But he's a good guy, though. That's why he's created this special deal for Neil Rogers listeners. Save big dollars right now. Extra bucks on all Pontiacs and GMCs in stock. Just mention you heard about it right here on the world-famous Neil Rogers Show. Stop by Hallett Pontiac GMC at 13401 South Dixie Highway. That's U.S. 1 across from the falls where every vehicle is marked with the lowest price in the world, you think. But, surprise, mention the Neil Rogers deal and you'll save even more. It gets even lower. And while you're there, be sure and take a peek at the complete line of GMC SUVs, including that Envoy, the Motor Trend SUV of the year, and the all-new Vibe SUV that's got the power of a big, fast, gutsy sports car, but sure as hell ain't no Corvette. Hallett's also got a super selection of dependable pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs, and if you've been turned down for credit, Hallett will bail your ass out because they will cut you a deal no matter how much of a deadbeat you may be. So get yourself the Neil Rogers deal right now at Hallett Pontiac GMC, right across from the falls at 13401 South Dixie Highway, where they've been going strong for 35 years plus, open every day of your life, seven days a week. Hallett Pontiac GMC, where they do say, we are professional grades. My, my. And local. This is Sports Radio 560. QAM. Off your duff. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It's the big bug blowout at Bong World. Street paper rollers. And of course, bongs. It's Bong World. Home of the four foot water bombs. Like dragon bombs. It's Bong World. The big boys get and don't forget, we'll see you at Steve M's house in Davie this weekend. Going to have a big party there is what I'm hearing. Wholesale's department's going to be there. Wholesale? 193, yeah, they're going to have a wholesale deal. Okay, 193 votes on the poll, and Mo is a leading, pretty good lead. Who do you think's got the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Mo Howard, David, 57. James Trafficant, 38. There was a guy on the, um, you know, penis gate thing, the Republican uh, right-wing congressman. We used to see him on TV all the time. Skinny guy, balding head, and he had like a little, I think from Ohio, I'm not really sure. Little uh, black wig, like in the middle of his head. You know what I'm saying? Like like uh, like a hockey puck uh, landed on his head and kind of melted. Can't picture him. You can't picture him? No. He was on all the time. I... Somebody out there will know. Please fax us the answer what that guy's name was. And, and we picture. could even What? And a picture. 
We could even put them on the pool. We can still get them on there. It's not too late. Here's a fact from David who says, I'm one of those idiots who wake up at 6 a.m. each morning, turn on the radio, automatically turn to QM to see if they still have Mo and Geldy on the air, and then disappointment sets in as I hear Mo's voice. I immediately switch to 9.40 a.m. Fox Sports, turn on the TV to check out Jackie Johnson for my daily dose of weather. Can't stand Mo's grandpa's sports talk show. How can they let him stay on the air? He's got no sense of humor. He may be a good play-by-play guy, but I'm hoping he won't last a year as the early morning talk show guy. Currently, I think the best part of your show is when you rip into Mo. Keep it up. I love it. Says David. How do you like that? We, we don't rip into Mo on this show, do we? No. Not that I know of. Of course not. The hell's he talking about? We may have some of these bits on here where they make, where they reference the Mo and the Gildy show. Do, 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 do. Stuff like that, but we sure, we would never do that. Although he is pretty old and has bad varicose veins painted green and white, we're hearing. And don't be talking about this show unless you listen to it, okay, Mo? If you listen to it, you can say whatever you like. In fact, we welcome that. We encourage that. I love it. Get you, get you about an 80 share, we'll have a 95 share. Get with it. Look at that. He's got 61 votes just pulling away, pouring it on in a stretch. Not bad for an old cocker like that, you know what? Now look at this. This is from the UK Mirror. Thank you, Carlos. Carlos is right on top of it. He's got his thumb on it. So let me see now. Do we have a new, um, I just want to see something. A new thing. Now, how's that going to work? On my page about the order statistics. On, not that it makes any difference on Boca Brian's CD. Oh, well, there, there are no, there's no way to order it just yet. Well, what does that mean? That's got to be worked out in another uh, day or two. What language are you speaking, man? What are you talking about? I just got all enthusiastic. I got goosebumps. I got so excited when I saw that cover on there, and now you tell me that they still can't order it? They still can't order it. This is like a big tease, you know? It's like bringing Tom Welling down here on my patio, sticking him in front of the window stark naked and just saying, I you can't touch, just look, you can't, he's just out here, you know? Well, what is that all about? Well, you got to get the thing rigged up for the credit cards and everything, and it takes ah, a Ah, jeez. See how you make me into a liar again? Nice going, Boca Brian, you bald-headed idiot. By the way, you win my pool. You got the worst-looking wig I ever saw. I still can't believe that he actually like wears that like like on the way from his car into the building. Not I can understand, that. huh? He's actually augmented it since he's gotten it. Oh, trimmed it here, a little off the sides. I think he's carrying that Joe Pesci thing just a little bit too far. <laughs> if you catch my drift. <laughs> anyway, the UK Mirror says, "What a performance! What a politician! What a superstar!" Oh. Bill Clinton played the parts of elder statesman, philosopher, and world leader at Labor's conference and played them to perfection. The heading on this, Clinton has the vision that Bush lacks. He was more idealistic and visionary than during his presidency and had the experience of eight years in the White House. He ranged over an enormous vista of domestic and international issues, yet the focus was on the crisis which we now, which now faces the U.S., U.K., and the world over Iraq. In place of the gung-ho, let's-go-get-him rhetoric of George Bush, Mr. Clinton spoke with insight and common sense while still recognizing the menace of Sodom. This was the best articulation yet of how the Iraqi terror must be dealt with, from a former president who has gone to war, knows it might be necessary again, but realizes what that means. To hear Mr. Clinton talk with compassion and humanity about the slaughter of innocent people by smart bombs and stress the vital importance of working with the U.N. through a chasm between him and the warmongers in today's White House. He also praised Tony Blair for restraining President Bush. Uh, the Mirror has often criticized Mr. Blair's poodle-like behavior to the current right-wing U.S. administration, and it still deeply concerns us that if Bush goes to war unilaterally with Sodom, Mr. Blair will back him. 
but we do accept we may have been a little bit too slow to appreciate the quiet but important work Mr. Blair is doing in bringing America and the U.N. to the negotiating table together. Bill Clinton wasn't a perfect president. The Monica Lewinsky affair was demeaning. The pardons he issued was crooked mates when he quit were disgraceful. And as Christopher Hitchens points out, he didn't always practice what he now preaches. But he spoke yesterday with an extraordinary passion, vision, and clarity that inspired the labor conference to roar from the rooftops. It was a magnificent speech from a man who's rapidly becoming the greatest figure in world politics, second only perhaps to Nelson Mandela. How do you like that, huh? Yeah. Second only to uh, Nelson is what they're saying. Maybe he and should run for parliament. Where is Nelson? Hey, he's, well, he's over in Africa probably somewhere. Yeah, he, you know, something, that's a great idea, and I guarantee he could win. He sure. kicked Tony Blair's ass, man. Are you kidding me? And can you see him there consorting with the queen? I can just see it now, huh? Oh, he'd, he'd uh, have a little goose there. He'd pinch her. He was always fond, unlike Bush, he was always fond of us queens anyway. Oh, look at this. This is from Rich Pactor that you just faxed me. Oh, it must no, be something really marginal. It, it is. No, it's good. It's great. Oh, good. look at this. Oh, I'll leave it to my close personal friend, Rich Pactor, who did a great liner on the back of the Restitution Book of Brian CD. <laughs> oh, no. This is great. In today's Herald, it says, location, location, location. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps reading this. Wait a minute. I didn't spot one of the uh, first things here. She was on the air down here for 22 years? No. Well, where did that come from? Well, it's the in the Herald. Do you expect him to get it right? Brooke Daniels, for 22 years, <laughs> one of South Florida's most recognized radio hosts, is moving into real estate. I, I don't know what that means for I, I can't even move beyond that line. Not that it doesn't get more ridiculous from there. Daniels, who left radio a year ago when WINZAM 940 switched from news talk to syndicated sports talk, has joined the plantation-based firm of Esslinger, Wooten, Maxwell Realtors. I've always believed that in radio, listening to your audience is important. By the way, you want a great realty lady, my good friend Mary Odell is still going strong in plantation. You know Mary? No. What a great person she is. She sold me my house. And then she won a battle with cancer. She was, And uh, she's still going strong. I get, every year I get a card from Mary. So when I start, when I get ready to sell my house in about a week, I've always believed that in radio, listening to your audience is as important as talking to them, Daniel said in the press release. <laughs> the personal relationships I've made from doing this are the most rewarding aspect of this business. I believe the same holds true for real estate. Because people's decisions to buy and sell real estate are often inspired by major life changes, sometimes what they need is someone to really listen to their needs and handle a transaction with the caring of a good friend. Oh. <laughs> A native of Long Island, New York, Daniels worked for WIOD and WINZ in South Florida and was twice named the market's best talk show host. <laughs> by who? By, uh, I don't know. By, by you. Probably by that woman's, uh, what is that thing, that March of Dimes thing, you know? Oh, oh that. You know what I'm the, talking about? The Air Awards. Yeah, the Air, the uh, Hot Air Awards, right. This is a woman who got rehired getting her oil, getting a lube job. First, she had that wa that waxy problem with her candle job where she got the hot wax all over her uh, body parts, which you don't want to say which ones. And then she uh, went over to get a lube job over there, right across the street from where George and uh, Carlos are sitting right now. What the hell's the name of that place? Jiffy Lube? Tire, oh, uh, Tire Kingdom. Whatever the hell she was doing. She was waiting, waiting for a lube job. And Petey Bolger, who had canned her ass not long before, said, Hey, you want to come back? And she said, Okay. Okay. And she came back. <clears throat> yeah, she was on a... Didn't they have her on in the afternoon at one point, and she had, like, tiny, teeny fractions, and then they put that other bitch on there whose boyfriend kept calling us from Oregon to tell us that she was syndicated. What that was her name? Liz Wilde. Oh, Liz Wilde, yeah. Web-toed, crappy, oh, my. booted, fat slob. 
<laughs> Man, have they had a parade over there at Cheat Channel or what? Nice going, Cheaty. You know how to find them. And then, of course, if they weren't good enough, I mean, between Grego and then the the sheep. Yeah, they've had them all. Come on, Neil, you need a better net. You know, do you think that he and Geldy were hatched like out of the same egg? I never thought of that. Stop and think about that. Who's more? That'd be a great poll question to take one day. Who's more shrill, Geldy or <laughs> the Sheik? Unbelievable. It really is. That's South Florida Radio for you, baby. It's the best. So, Brooke Daniels, best of luck to you in your real estate. We wish you nothing but well. And don't come by my pizza loft again standing there like I'm supposed to know who you are. I'll never forget that day. Was I doing an appearance there or was I just having dinner with the Rimmers? No, you must have just been there because I yeah. wasn't there. Yeah, I was, I was just having dinner with the Rimmers, and I'd mentioned it on the ear. And all of a sudden, here comes this uh, bigger-than-life figure, and I, knew, I do mean bigger-than-life. And she like kind of like waddles towards the one <laughs> and then stands there and stares at me. And I thought, like, who the hell are you, you know? And then as she started talking, I realized who the hell it was, you know. But she always acted like I was her long-lost best friend. She didn't belong on the air just to say hello. She was the low-rent Randy Rose. Howard! And she always denied that she was ripping off Randy's act, you know. Why was Not that? Wow. I mean, Why am I wrong about it? that? No, I... she denied it vehemently. The low-budget Randy Rhodes. Not, which isn't saying an awful lot. You know, Randy. Wow! 20 before 11 at 560 WQAM. I'm getting ready to do uh, this story here. I better do my break, you know. Since I mentioned Pizza Loft, it must be my psychic powers kicking in again. Uh -huh. Must be working. The brand new Pizza Loft is open, and I guarantee you, by the time I get home in a couple of weeks, it's going to be going really strong, baby, in Plantation. Knob Hill and Sunrise in that little strip shopping center on the northeast corner of uh, Knob Hill and Sunrise, right beyond Walgreens. The pizza loft, and you heard Jeff the other day with that boring call he had. Boy, that was terrible. But at any rate, the good news was the same great food, everything fresh and delicious, cooked to your order, nothing prefabricated, nothing heated up in microwave ovens, which means you won't get any mushy side. There's nothing worse in my book than pasta that's overcooked. You know what I mean? Oh, it's slimy, mushy. Yeah, it's like Chef Boyardee or yeah. like Franco-American. It's mushy. You'll never get that at the pizza loft. Everything is cooked al dente, which means it's hard, and the pasta, too. It's cooked to your order, just the way you like it. And, of course, they got three different kinds of great pizza, calzones, super subs, chicken, veal dishes, seafood, and the best garlic rolls anywhere on this planet, just dripping with garlic. You'll have to wash your hands four times after you try those and after you hang out with Jeff. So try the world-famous pizza loft in Davie, which probably isn't too far from Steve M's house. It's over there on University between Griffin and 595 behind Pier 1 Imports in the Pizza Loft Plaza, Kitty Corner of the New Armadillo Cafe with tons and tons of free parking and the brand-new pizza loft open right now. On the corner of Knob Hill and Sunrise in Plantation. The number in, uh, uh, Navy is 954-916-8880 for takeout, for delivery, for catering. 954-916-8880. No delivery yet in Plantation because they want to get it down to a science. They want to make sure it's perfect. But, uh, trust us when we tell you. We'll let you know. Live and local. This is 560. The radio's all yours now. QAM. This is CBS. I'm Tom Brokaw. Tonight on the NBC Nightly News, a new FBI report shows that Arkansas and Kentucky are among the states with the highest rate of unsolved murders in the country. It makes sense to most officials as there are no dental records and all the DNA is the same. I'm Tom Brokaw, and we'll see you tonight. What are you trying to say, Tom? You notice I never play those? Right. And now you know why. 10:45 at 5. No, I never play those because it's a Rick and Suds thing. You know, I don't. I don't like sticking, uh, taking their <laughs> stuff. Other than that, other other than that, I'll make that one exception. 
Did, did I hear a spot on the last break? I meant to mention this, but it slipped on by because we got so much heavy-duty crap <laughs> flying all over the place today, especially after you got stuck uh, in the elevator or couldn't get up in the elevator. No, it was everybody else. And by the way, everyone, you're welcome. Boy, all the thank yous were pouring in. Yeah, George is the one that fixed the situation. He opened up the door. He got permission from the water knots. He said, if I open up these doors and you come up the stairs, uh, there's a big sign on there. It says the uh, there's a silent alarm and the police will come. and a virus. See, you should have known that they wouldn't show up anyway. Don't you remember we had that fire alarm the one day? Oh, I know. Which turned out to be bogus, and nobody ever showed up anyway. Oh, but and, my and, luck. You and know the fire station is right around the corner there on Ives Dairy Road, right right around the corner up from Chuck Subs on a, like about a block from there. And they never showed up. They don't like us. So anyway, did I hear Muff say something about he likes nuts? In the spot? Yeah. It was a spot in a, not this last break. Yeah, planters in the previous uh, spot break. At the I love the break. nuts. That's exactly what he said. He loves nuts. A delegate who climbed onto the stage where former President Clinton was speaking at the governing Labor Party's conference in England uh, yesterday said he just wanted to express support for the former leader and maybe make a lunch date with him. Sammy Caracos, a 52-year-old Labor member from London, was ejected by bodyguards after he clambered onto the stage as Clinton was finishing his speech to the convention. I don't see why there should be so much fuss about somebody wanting to speak to him, said uh, Kyriakos. I had been through all his security clearance, so obviously I wasn't a threat. Kyriakos said he wanted to tell Clinton of a, his three-day sympathy hunger strike during the 1998 impeachment hearings. Kiriako said he wrote to Clinton but never heard back, so we decided to talk with him. He seemed happy about it and said he appreciated it. He said he was uh, great I'd gone on a hunger strike for him. I said maybe he should take me out to lunch and return, and he said maybe he should, but the security man didn't give us time to fix a date. A Labor Department spokesman said Kiriakos had been stripped of his pass to the conference. Well, how do you like that? They stripped him, and he still don't want to go on a date. It's not his type. Isn't that something that we went through uh, two years of hell with uh, that impeachment crap over a penis gate, over a couple of blowjobs? Yeah, but it was well worth it, don't you And think? what we got in there now, man, if anybody deserves to be impeached, if anybody should be on the uh, verge after stealing the election, and this business that Jeb Bush is going to get off the hook in Florida, you talk about people with a short memory. Good God. Even Miss Twiggy don't have a memory that short. Give me a break. How's the pool coming, baby? Speaking of bad hair pieces, look at Hurricane Albert there in New Iberia, Louisiana. Tropical storm force. Wow, a lot of blowing going on there. Poor Louisiana. You know why they're getting it bad, Louisiana? Why? You want to know why? Why? Because they're dumb. And God is punishing them. No, that, that, that's what Jerry Falwell would say. Just like, remember, we had the, the fires. The, it was flaming in Florida, northern Florida. And was it Pat Roberts that said it was the wrath of God because of That's all right. the homos and all of this? Baggage. He was pissed off. Of course, you don't realize that most of the homos in Florida aren't in North Florida. But sometimes God has bad aim, you know? I think he's got a point because aren't the faggots flaming? That's true. 78 votes for Mo, the worst hairpiece in the world. James Trafficant, 48. And don't forget, if you haven't seen Mo's piece, because I don't think he's, he hasn't been on TV since he's been done, has he? Uh, not that I know of. I don't believe so. Unless, of course, those billboards that are all over town. <laughs> Uh, hey, you won't get no promotion, man. In fact, he should kiss my ass. You know what? The only promotion he gets is on this show. Mad Dog won't talk about him for obvious reasons. He's got his lip zipped. The Humper, only time he talks about him, he's uh, pissed off and fired up about him. The only promotion he gets is on... And then, of course, I forgot Joe and Mark, which everybody's asleep during their show. Moe's got 78. Like I said, you can go to WQAM.com and uh, click on... In fact, I'll do it right now, just to make sure I tell him where to click it right. WQAM... Dot com. Here we go. Let's take a look at that. And they're bad pictures of just about everybody. And the fact, the picture of Joe and Mark is really grotesque. Have you looked at that? Yeah, I saw it. And don't look under where it says photos. Look where it says our hosts. Our hosts. 
And there, very first one, it's the Howard David Show with, come on, there it is. And there's Geldy. Now, Geldy looks like Geldy, you know? Yeah. And, I, and Eddie K looks okay. He looks like him. Joe and Mark look, uh, I don't know, like they're stoned out of their minds or something. And probably they are. Mad Dog. Mad, and I got those big old glasses on that I haven't worn in years, those big, gigantic glasses. Phyllis, uh, Charles Nelson Riley glasses. Yeah, and Mad Dog looks, uh, man, like he's had about 85 green lizards, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He looks uh, 86 sheets to the wind. But anyway, getting back to the Mo thing, there's the gray sideburns, and look at that brindle thing sitting way back up in the middle of his head. <laughs> Woo! Man, I get goosebumps looking at that picture. And then Hank's picture, with all due respect to my close personal buddy, the Humper, I still say it looks like he's sticking his head through. At the carnival, you know, they have those things where you stick your head through like a, a hole in, a, in a, a wall, and then like the body... Is not really your body. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, am I right about that or what? <laughs> That's, you mentioned that when we were looking at it together. The In fact, you remember right. that very suspect picture of Lee Harvey Oswald holding that rifle? Right. And the head. No, his body is standing at one angle, and the head is like cocked at a different angle, if I can say that. The gun isn't cocked, but his head is. Like a you know? cut and paste job. Right. And this is the same with the humper here. It looks like uh, his head is, uh, I don't know. But it's definitely worth taking a look at. You folks will get a great hoot out of that, and especially take a look at Moe's piece so you know what you're talking about when you cast your vote. You have an educated vote. I only wish we had a picture of Bob Eisenberg on there somewhere, but we don't. In fact, I bet you Carlos, before the end of the show, can come up with a website where you can see a picture of a muskrat. And it, if, you can just, if you can just envision that animal crawling around and just, just coming to, to roost on top of somebody's head, that's a Bob Eisenberg. You know, I'll, I'll bring my digital camera in tomorrow and take a picture. Please. Now, we'll now but see, now he's wearing the new piece, so it's not, yeah, it's just, it doesn't qualify. We don't have an old one. Sex abuse case against former Uxbridge priest goes to jury. This in the Boston Globe. Worcester. I, I love that. There's just something about the way that in New England they spell the names like Quincy is Quincy, you know, and every, every, mm-hmm. uh, Every name is like a, it's like a game to try to trick you up. Concord. We have Concord, Michigan, but in, of course in, in New England it's Concord, New Hampshire. Worcester. How come it's Rochester and it's Wor- not Worcester? Worcester. Worcester? Worcestershire. For the first time in seven years at Master- a Massachusetts civil jury is considering whether a Roman Catholic priest sexually abused one of his young parishioners. David Lucon, 48, of Webster, claims the Reverend Thomas Tizar repeatedly punched and fondled him in 1971 when he was a 16-year-old St. Mary's uh, Church when he was at uh, an altar boy in Uxbridge. But attorneys for Tizar, now 61 of Dudley, who no longer performs priestly duties, <coughs> say physical contact between the two men never went beyond a single back rub when Lucon was 17 and old enough to be legally consenting. They also claim that Lucon filed his case too late under statute of limitations. Too late! <coughs> Would a 17-year-old engage in the type of contact that he thought was harming him? Louis Atois, Tizar's lawyer, said during closing statements in uh, the case yesterday in Worcester Superior Court where the jury began deliberations. Lucan's attorney says age isn't relevant in the case. There's never an appropriate, it's, uh, an appropriate age for an individual. This, this is written so poorly and it's in off the Boston Globe, too, I can't believe it. There's never an appropriate age for an individual to engage in sexual conduct with his priest, Lawrence Hard, Hardon, said during his closing statement. H-A-R-D-O-O-N. How do you pronounce that? Lawrence Hardon. The recent sex abuse scandal in the church has produced a rash of civil lawsuits against priests, but none so far has gone to trial. Yada, yada, yada. How do you like that? A very poor, uh, poorly written uh, thing there in the Boston Globe. They must have been in a big hurry, in a big rush. Two Miss Cleo executives get short probation terms in Missouri. Thank God for that. We don't think that anybody involved in Miss Cleo, even if they're charging for phone calls you never made, we like them a lot. Because if Jonathan Edwards can be on TV, 
if Maury Puppick and uh, who are the other ones, and all these other fakers can be on there, Jenny Jones and Ricky Lake, if they can be on there, if Dr. Phil can be on there peddling right. phony advice. Don't forget Jen what, and Paul. And, and, right, and all the, uh, all the TV uh, preachers, grave robbers. Come on. Then miss, at least Miss Cleo was fun. She was fun, man. Come on, get your free reading. Call me I, now. Yeah, call me now, man. Get your free reading for a hundred bucks. And, they, and she had the disclaimer on there. A very tiny print at the bottom of the screen. It says it's a scam and a sham, and you got to be a real sucker, and it's for entertainment only, and just give us the goddamn money. Hey, how come we don't all go to jail? We work at QAM. That's our motto. Just give us the effing money. We don't give a crap about doing a job for anybody. Just give us the money, okay? If you got any kind of business out there, we'll run some spots for you, maybe, maybe okay, when we get around to it. But in the meantime, just give us your money. And that's our, that's our motto. We're proud of it. I think seldom in the history of mankind they're always talking about all the billing and they made budget. And, you know, we got spots up the ass. I don't know why. I have no idea why. I haven't got the foggiest idea, even with the ratings we have on this show, because there's nobody in that sales department that really wants to do a job for anybody. Just give us the money. Let's write the order, get your signature on a piece of paper, and now just give us the money, okay, because we got to make billing. That's what it's all about. And we got to get that billing way up there, because if we're going to sell this damn station, we got to, you know, goose those numbers up. You notice that, that the log is always, like, jam-packed just before a radio station gets sold? No, no, Always. No. Really? Oh, yeah. Sure, because they want to get the billing up. Oh, look at this. We billed uh, two million last month or whatever. I don't know how much we bill on this station, but an awful lot. A lot. Well, that's because a lot of it is, like, for phantom mentions. Oh, yeah, we'll mention you 4,000. That's why when, when we have these appearances, <laughs> no, this is one of the biggest scams going. I've talked about it before. Uh, they, they sell mentions. and Not not commercials. You're not actually getting a commercial. But we'll mention you on Neil's show and uh, Mo and uh, Hank and, like, uh, you know, for appearances. And that's why they always try to write a commercial every time you guys make an appearance because uh, they think they can con some of us into, like, uh, you know, giving them a whole spot. I'm not going to do that. You're going to be out at some place, fine, I'll mention it, but I'm not going to give like a whole minute spot there. And then that's that's what they're paying for, mentions, which is why back during that O.J. golf tournament, we call those ugly days. Remember that? Oh, yeah. How come you're not reading that promo? Well, maybe we're not reading it because Roy! that big Schwarzer ex-Dolphin guy never gave it to us. He was too busy back there uh, doing a screw-in. Didn't have time to write his freaking promo. He was busy drilling her with that gigantic black dildo or something, something gigantic and black, I'll tell you that. Don't you think? No, you don't think, and, and I'll tell you who's not too happy about it either. It's freaking Bob Vermouth. We're Sports Radio 560 QAM. Gordon gives South Florida a major blowjob. Jumping away. The 
1101 at 560. WQM, happy Thursday, too. we got the Mad Dog at 1. Hank, a full four hours today, 3 to 7. Let's hear it for the Humper, baby, who's like working overtime. we got old Beano, 5 to 6. It proves nothing is perfect. And then that baseball crap. Eddie K after the baseball crap. Braves and the Giants. And then, of course, we got you and Mark overnight. Now, the reason I played that Y2K thing, I'm sure you're aware, is because of the story about candidate skin blue after drink. Yeah, it's hysterical. Montana's libertarian candidate for Senate has turned blue from drinking a silver solution that he believed would protect him from disease. Stan Jones, a 63-year-old business consultant and part-time college instructor, said he started taking colloidal silver in 1999 for fear that Y2K disruptions might lead to a shortage of antibiotics. He made his own concoction, and of course, this is a libertarian, by the way. What does that tell you? Right. As soon as I said libertarian, you notice we were both compelled to do that same thing. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> do you realize she was on the air for 82 years until she went into real estate? In this market. I heard she was on the air for 172 years until she finally uh, gave up the ghost. He made his own concoction by electrically charging a couple of silver wires in a glass of water. <laughs> this is the brilliant libertarian in Montana. His skin began turning blue-gray a year ago. People ask me if it's permanent and if I'm dead, he said. I tell him I'm practicing for Halloween. He doesn't take the supplement any longer, but the skin condition called Argyria, which I thought was in northern Africa, is permanent. The condition is generally not serious. It just makes you look like blue and gray, <laughs> kind of like you live in the Sunrise Lakes. <laughs> Colloidal silver dietary supplements are marketed widely as an antibacterial agent or immune system booster, but some consider it quackery. Even the Aflac duck is laughing about it. Jones is one of three candidates seeking to one-seat Democratic Senator Max Baucus in November. The others are Republican State, uh, State Senator Mike Taylor, Green Party candidate Bob Keller, and none of them got a chance, especially the Libertarian candidate who's the Blue-Gray. Maybe you ought to run instead of on the Green Party, on the Blue-Gray Party. That might be good. Two misplayable executives. I started on this, and then you, you got me sidetracked there with that crap, whatever the hell it was. What was that? Something about rape? Two Miss Cleo executives get short probation terms in Missouri. The two Fort Lauderdale men, which we had this story yesterday, here on uh, C-SPAN audio, accused of bilking consumers of $500 million through their Miss Cleo TV psychic operation, flew to St. Louis yesterday, pleaded no contest to felony fraud, were sentenced and flew right home after the corporations paid a $50,000 fine. Oh! We think that's fine with us. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we're fine. Right. Stephen L. Feeder, 52, was on probation for less than an hour without ever leaving a courtroom. Then a judge ruled that he is fine paid. He had satisfied his probation and was free to go. His cousin, Peter Stoltz, 54, got a longer probation. The judge gave him a maximum of two years. His lawyer said he expected that to last no more than five months. It was a very good deal, Feeder's defense attorney, Ed Dowd, told reporters outside the courthouse. My client paid no fine, his corporations did, and is not on probation. What he did is come here and spend an hour in the beautiful city of St. Charles and is now back in Florida. St. Charles, Missouri is a suburb of San Luis. Missouri Attorney General Jay Nixon's office investigated the men for more than a year and filed a total of eight felony charges against the men and their two corporations. If it's a good deal, then it's a good deal for us, too, Nixon said after the sentencing. They are swindlers who pled guilty to criminal action today. Prosecutors say the case is significant because it's the first time the two defendants have been charged with criminal acts. They're still being investigated for civil fraud by the FTC and several states. Why can't they leave them alone? Defense attorneys and prosecutors work through the night. How about Ron Popeil, huh? How about that uh, that drying? What is that thing? Those uh, that machine, the drying tray that the, you dry your weed. The dehydrator. The dehydrator thing that you dry your weed in over you at Steve M's house in Davie. I think we ought to give Steve M's number on here because uh, I understand voice. there's a shortage in town. There is a and shortage. P. D. Lenny's got the number, by the way. Ask him if he needs some help. All right. If you run dry. I'm dry. 
Defense attorneys and prosecutors work through the night to come up with plea agreement. Part of it is there will be no record to be the man's conviction unless they violate the probations. Feeder said his criminal record already is sealed. Is he embarrassed by what he did? Not at all, he said as he ran from the courthouse. In Stoltz's case, he'll have a clean criminal record unless he commits any more frauds in misery, which he denies he ever did. The other requirements, according to Assistant uh, Attorney General R. Rexham, well, it's got a whole thing. They agree to do this, and they won't do that. Burleson estimated that the Miss Cleo operation had collected about a billion dollars nationwide and that half of that was gained by deceit. Feeder and Stoltz said that did that by advertising free telephone con consultations with Miss Cleo, supposedly a Jamaican-accented psychic, but actually a Los Angeles-born actress and playwright who lives in Fort Lauderdale. And we like Miss Cleo a lot on this show. Initially, the men hired in-house psychics who supposedly had some quality. And, and let me ask you this. How come uh, Shirley Tweeters and uh, our good close friend what's in it pitched out Joe Costello from a power, Bo, Bo Griffin, Bo, Bo, Bo Griffin. How come they didn't wind up going to jail? They had the same uh, scam going. Sure. At least as far as the uh, psychic thing. Psychic my ass, okay? Initially, the men hired in-house psychics who supposedly had some qualifications, Burleson said, but after they were inundated with consumer calls, he said they subcontracted the hiring of 250 to 1,000 readers per day. No experience necessary, the ad said. The readers work from their homes. Callers paid 4.99 um, per minute for a reading, for their free reading. Readers had to keep them online for more than 19 minutes or they might not get any other callers. Thousands of callers were put on hold, running up hundreds of dollars in bills without ever talking to any psychic, real or otherwise. Both defendants owned the two telemarketing firms and Peter was in charge of day-to-day -day operations, Burleson said. Miss Cleo, known as Yuri Harris of Broward County Community of Southwest Ranches, there's that again, did few readings, less than a third of one percent, Burleson said. She was a paid employee and she was not charged, by the way. She didn't do nothing, Miss Cleo. The defendants first pleaded not guilty, then changed to no contest, meaning they acknowledged there was enough evidence to convict them. Even Circuit Judge Nancy Schneider admitted she was confused, repeatedly mistaking the defendants' pleas for guilty. Innocent of every offense, Dow told the judge. Members of Cub Scout Pack 530 from Francis Howe School District watched the pleas to help earn their citizenship badges, said 10-year-old Chris Carter, there was a lot of big words. <laughs> oh. Well, one thing about Miss Cleo, she was plain speaking, no big words, just... Yeah, That's basically what she said. I noticed that after I made mention about the uh, promos for these appearances that you faxed me 600, <laughs> 600 promos, real cutie, babe. Miguel ran that in here while you were yeah, talking about Yeah, real cutie that. pie. Fan hits... Well, I'll save these for tomorrow, because... Although I will say this, because I find this most amusing and typical of QAM in our, in our shady dealings. The one for you on Saturday. Saturday, George will be at... Or, now, wait a minute. Oh, I see. Saturday, George will be at Jared Jewelers, 1630 North Federal Highway, and Fort Lauderdale, 1 to 3. Stop by to win prizes. Register to win a trip for two to see the Dolphins play the Jets in New York. There's only one problem with that. Because before the show today, George said to me, Do you ever hear of Jared Jewelers? And I said, No. I said, Did you ever hear of it? And he said, No. no. He's going to be there. Sure. Well, that's good. I'm going to get to know them. He'll take the money. He'll take the money and have a good time even if nobody shows up. We hope a lot of people show up, of course, because we love our good friends at Jared Jewelers. And speaking of jewelry... What a great segue, Neil. Thank you. Al Gore seemed caught by surprise when he was asked after an economic speech why he wasn't wearing his wedding ring. Because I'd gained so much weight, I couldn't get it off, <laughs> Gore said, as both he and the crowd at the Brookings Institution burst into raucous laughter. I'm making a reassessment of my personal diet, he added, thanking a reporter for bringing the subject up. The former vice president said he actually was able to remove his wedding ring, but then couldn't get it back on. Wife Tipper immediately stood up to point out that she was still wearing hers. Asked anew if he would challenge President Bush in a rematch of their 2000 campaign, Gore said he would decide by the end of the year. I don't know if I'll be a candidate or not, he said. I'm not going to, uh, trying to be coy. 
I told Tipper I'd take two years and try to get some financial security, said Gore, who's taken a job as vice chairman of Metropolitan West Financial, a Los Angeles-based financial services holding company. Tipper Gore piped up from the front row. Good timing, schmuck. Gore, who had criticized the administration's handling of the economy in a speech Wednesday, laughed and said, I wish I'd tried to do this during the Clinton-Gore years. In other words, when the economy was going strong, oh! when people had two dimes to rub together, instead of another one of these goddamn right-wing recessions like we're going through now. Although the market, uh, look at that. Dow is up 45 and a half points. Oh! NASDAQ's down six. The Dow is 7,800, almost, almost exactly, almost to the penny, and 90 cent. 7,800 on the Dow. 7,801, 7,800. <laughs> NASDAQ 1181. Can you, can you believe those numbers? It's enough to make me I gag. Enough to make me very glad that I got out. I don't care what happens with it. Go back up. Good luck to all of you, okay? You'll need it. Don't want no part of that uh, dog and pony show. The shell, it's the old shell game. Has nothing to do with oil in this case. It's just like they have on prices right. The old shell game, you know? Murder suspects arrested after a freeway chase in California. We thought this was going to be a real exciting story yesterday. We watched it on CNN live on, uh, unfolding. The, nothing happened. Three men wanted for questioning about a murder led authorities on a 40-minute freeway chase yesterday before their truck was forced into a spin on a residential street. The chase started around 7 o'clock yesterday morning. Shortly after a slaying in Buena Park, California, Highway Patrol Officer Jeff Perez said information about the killing wasn't available. Well, what, what does that mean? The pickup truck sped past commuters on I-91 and adjacent freeways and streets as the people inside threw objects out a window. The speed was not immediate. Nothing was available. It was not immediately known what was discarded. In other words, they don't know anything. This is from USA Today, where they're going, blah, blah, but don't we have a lot of nice, colorful pictures? The driver turned into a residential street in this city, Orange, about 35 miles southeast of L.A. Police rammed into the truck's rear right wheel using the so-called pit maneuver. It sent the truck spinning into an iron fence. One of the men inside ran hidden in a clump of trees, but soon surrendered with the two other men. After the chase ended, a Buena Park police officer shot and wounded the driver as one of the passengers ran hidden in a clump of trees. And then you know what it says? I give up. The driver soon surrendered with the other two men. <laughs> Just like it says, USA Today, man, for people who can't read, people who can't even understand on the uh, C-SPAN of the year, people who just want to see those really colorful pictures. And, boy, they got a lot of them, you know. In fact, even every section in USA Today has got its own special color. Have you ever noticed? I know. I like the weather map best. The purple section and the uh, green section with the money. Green, you follow? Green for the money, huh? <laughs> got it? And purple people. And for the purple people in the people section there... And the sports, which I, I don't remember what that, I guess it's red. Meaning that most people who gamble on sports are usually in the red. Or maybe it had something to do with like with Red Grange or Red Kelly or Red Smith, rest in peace. It's 11 past, the, speaking of Red Kelly, how's that hockey team doing? Huh? Oh! I see the Bruins and the Panthers scoreless tie last night in an exhibitionist game. Boy, I'm, that must have been really exciting. God. Don't start talking hockey, okay? You'll get the mo man upset and he'll turn it off. He wants to hear that. Neil, uh, the bedtime stories in the C-SPAN of the uh, radio. He wants to hear that stuff. <laughs> and, the, and then, of course, the, the organ grinder. That should be our promo now. L listen to Neil and George and uh, Carlos monkey around for four hours midday. <laughs> huh? What's wrong with that? That would be, hey, it beats your hollow. The promos are running demos on that station. Is Clarence showing his face anymore? Or is he, like, laid out? Haven't seen him today. Nah, see, you won't see him anymore. He just, he's, he's like fading into the background now. He's a good kid, but he's, you know, he's well, just fading there, into the background. There are budget meetings going on, you know. Oh, I see, and probably because of the uh, sale that I'm hearing about. The auditors were in. Now, maybe, see, the auditors were in because uh, the budget meetings are going on. Maybe it's just that time of the year. It's October. It makes sense to me, huh? Right. Isn't that when most people begin their next physical year? Is in October? Yes. In fact, speaking of physics, I think that it couldn't hurt. <laughs> P.D. Lenny, they ought to tie him up and stick an enema tube up his ass and, like, clean out, the, give him a high colonic. Sounds good to me. 
I could just see Fat Boy tying his ass up. Okay, can't you see that? Well, not if he got a head start. <laughs> well, somebody'd have to hold on, you know. <laughs> I can just see that right now. Give Petey Lenny and clean his system out, man. He is so full of crap. It's coming out of every pore in his in his uh, addled body. He is just ooh, creepy. Hey, if you love your home but you need more space, here's the answer for how you solve that dilemma. Do what hundreds of other smart people like George are doing. Call our good friends at Strictly Edition. Whether you're having a baby, need another room, if you're converting a carport or patio into living space, if you went into business for yourself, like maybe you got a boiler room going back there, maybe Miss Cleo's coming to work for you, and you want to make a home orifice for her, call Strictly Additions. They're your one-stop shop, your more space for your place place, with an absolutely, positively worry-free approach to expanding your living space. Those no-shows by other contractors will never happen with these folks. And, of course, incomplete work, no chance. No unexpected bills, no worries about the job not getting done right. And the people at Strictly Additions take care of every single last detail. They drop your blueprints, they get the building permits for you, and they handle all inspections, too. Here's their uh, five-step easy approach to total customer satisfaction. First, they call to schedule a free project evaluation appointment right in your house, at your home, where a project estimator will determine the scope of your addition. Secondly, they schedule a bid appointment in their convenience showroom where you'll get a detailed proposal and an exact price to the penny for the work. Third, select your finishing touches, go to contract. Fourth, review the design architectural drawings. And then five, sit back and relax with a big smile on your puss as your dream edition moves ahead on schedule with unbeatable quality. It's a piece of cake. Give Strictly Editions a call, 954-791-8100. They serve all of Broward and South Palm Beach. You can look at their ad in the yellow pages if you like. They're licensed. They're insured professionals who care about doing a super job for you. 954-791-8100. Tell them that Neil and old Petey Lenny told you to call Strictly Additions. Hey, it's Howard. Howard David. Welcome back to the Mo Howard David Show, where we're chock full of zany, but good, clean family fun. <laughs> you know that pipe-smoking jizz guzzler thinks rape is funny? Is that funny? Planes crashing into buildings is funny too, huh? What? 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 Since when is gang rape funny? Especially when it's me getting my teabag grabbed. What a jackass. Hey, how about them hurricanes? No, 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 don't go tap dancing when I talk. This is important. They don't know comedy. I'll show them comedy. Today I brought my collection of Lum and Abner tapes. Who? Lum and Abner, you moron. They even named the restaurant after Lum. Uh-oh. Ah, you clueless schmuck. We'll get back to that later. Right now, it's time for our transcendent mid-show snack. Bring the morning mayor his food. Ooh. Ah, here they are. My favorite place to dine. Zygotza Boca. Dig in, everybody. Mm, what is it, shrimp? Looks like a donut. No, it's uh, the veined embryos from Planned Parenthood in the hood. But it's good. Try it with the uh, cocktail sauce. Hey, hey, Beast, go play that Alice Cooper record. Dead baby. There's a little atmosphere for you to help it go down the gullet. Hey, baby, I really dig that Alice Cooper. See? I'm with it, and I'm hip. I'm a hipster. If these punks only knew what was good. Yeah, I got some more sense in here to cleanse your palate, dude. Thanks, Mo. All right. Well, we got the Meathead Mad Dog coming up at one, followed by that fat Joe right after the queer and the spit. What's that? It's a plane! It's a plane! Quick, quick! It's headed right for your ass, Mo! Let go, but quick! Eleven nineteen at 560 WQ. I'll tell you one thing, man. He's off in a league of his own. You know what? 
on our poll today? Who do you think has got the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Mo Howard David, 94. I think they're probably checking that QM website. James Trafficant, 68. He's putting in a good battle. Sam Donaldson, 47. Marvelous Marv Albert, 31. Henry Framed, 18. Wasn't he a good friend of yours? <laughs> oh, it just changed. It just changed again. I hate that. Moe's got 94. James Traffic and 68. Sam Donaldson, uh, 47. Marv Albert, 32. Henry Freund, 18. Burr Reynolds, 17. Not bad. Bill Shatner, 11. Elton John, 7. Willard Scott, 7. Charlton Heston, 4. Uh, Tony Curtis, 3. Lyle Menendez has got 3. Bob Eisenberg, a pair. Aaron Brown is up to 2. See, now that we spelled its name right, it's getting a couple of votes. Sean Connery and uh, Martin Landau and Tony Bennett and Michael Douglas each have one, and Paul Simon don't have any. I don't. I, now you just made that up, didn't you, about Paul Simon wearing a piece? That came from Carlos. He saw it on a site. I see. Well, evidently nobody believes you, Carlos. Sorry. No, nobody believes you. You're just picking on him because he's Jewish. That's all. Because he's married to Edie Brickell, who's tall. Right. That's a good reason. Oh, it makes me want to play that bit again uh, almost immediately. <laughs> it was a good bit. I, like I said, New Jersey High Court rules in favor of Democrats, oh! such as they are. Well, listen, they, you know, the other candidate couldn't win Torricelli, so they got to put somebody there might have a shot. The state Supreme Court ruled yesterday Democrats can replace outgoing Senator Robert Torricelli on the November 5th election ballot, while Republicans, who promised <clears throat> an appeal, opened a second front in the federal court. Torricelli dropped his re-election bid yesterday, after a, or Monday, rather, after a scandal that sent him tumbling in the polls. Democrats want to replace him with uh, former Senator Frank Lautenberg, but Republican candidate Doug Forrester argued that state law requires candidates must withdraw at least 51 days before Election Day to be replaced on the ballot. There are just 34 days left until the election. A lawyer for New Jersey's 21 county clerks told the state Supreme Court yesterday it was still feasible to put Lautenberg on a ballot before Election Day. Democrats put the price tag at $800,000, and the attorney, John Carbone, said if court challenges by the Republicans drag the process beyond Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, it will be too late to reprint the ballots in time. The attorney for Forrester has said the GOP intends to take the case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to keep Torricelli's name on the ballot. So we're right back where we were two years ago. You see what's going on here? Mm-hmm. When we had that five to four vote in the Supreme Court, and they said, "I stop counting votes, okay?" Bush won, and I have this. Uh, well, I'm not going to prejudge, okay? Even though we have several fascists on the Supreme Court, as the parties awaited the ruling, lawyers for Forrester said they would go to Attorney General John Ascroft and file a federal voting rights lawsuit to force election officials to mail out absentee ballots with Torricelli's name on them. If ballots are mailed soon, voters overseas, especially U.S. military personnel, could be denied their right to vote. Said Forrester Attorney Bill Baroni. There are absentee ballots that are destined for overseas to ships and bases that are in vaults in New Jersey. Every day, every minute those ballots are in the vaults is disenfranchising these military voters, he said. And, of course, we most of them vote Republican anyway. <laughs> the action is separate from the case before the New Jersey court, Baroni said. The New Jersey race is considered pivotal in Democratic efforts to hold their one-seat control of the Senate. Republicans argued it set a horrendous precedent to change candidates this close to the election because the nominee is tanked in the polls and pointed out that some absentee ballots have been cast or distributed already. Republicans said that Torricelli should stay on the ballot because he withdrew after the 51-day deadline. The Democrats argue there was legal precedent favoring a competitive election over the expense of developing new ballots. Attorney General David Sampson, no relation to the uh, Schiffmeister that owns the uh, Marlins, David Sampson, who monitors election, told the court yesterday that they'd be printing a new balance with the name of a new Democratic candidate could be performed without jeopardizing the race. We are not past the point that the train has moved so far down the track that we can't do what needs to be done, he said. How do you like that, huh? So the uh, U.S. Supreme Court may be where this is decided. Of course, you know what they're going to say, don't you? Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. 
Torricelli, baby. Get his name back on there right away. Speaking of crooks, Enron's Fastow faces jail and restitution is what this says here. Isn't that one of our favorite things is restitution? The former chief financial officer of Enron Corp was charged yesterday in connection with his role in the company's financial collapse. The charges against Andrew S. Fastow, 40, include securities fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy. Report CBS News correspondent Stephanie Lambadakis. The criminal complaint alleges Fastow and others devised a scheme to defraud Enron and its shareholders through off-the-book partnerships, which made the company look more profitable than what it was. Fastow and his co-conspirators systematically and thoroughly corrupted the business of one of the largest corporations in the world, Deputy Attorney General Larry Thompson told a Washington News conference. I can tell you that we're going to get to the bottom of what happened and run. Every single person who is engaged in criminal or any other appropriate conduct will be brought to justice, Thompson added. Fast House surrendered voluntarily to the FBI's headquarters in Houston yesterday morning. Also yesterday, the SEC filed a related civil suit against Fastow, alleging that he defrauded investors and violated securities laws. The SEC is seeking unspecified civil money penalties against him and repayment of his allegedly ill-gotten gains. Oh, and speaking of ill-gotten, wait till you hear this. You're going to love this. Yeah. Oh, man. In fact, let me cue up the appropriate uh, comment for this. One moment, please. One moment, please. Where the hell is it? Here it is. One million times. No, that's not it. See, I did that thing. Get out of here, okay? Go see our old Cleo. You know, it's not going to be worth it now. You know what I mean? In other words, when there's the long pause and all the nonsense. It's not going to be worth it when I finally get to where Mad Dog says, Only in the Banana Republic, baby. Only in Miami. Yes, it was. During the past 17 years, the Washington-based Center for Democracy has monitored elections in 10 developing countries from El Salvador and Nicaragua to Russia and the Philippines. Come November, Dade County might land on that list. See, see the reasoning here? Yeah. While the nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank has promoted democracy around the world, in these banana republic countries, it had never been invited to look at an election in the U.S. until now. Today, the group's president and CEO, oh! Alan Weinstein, is flying into town into Miami for a whirlwind of meetings with county elections officials and county commissioners to discuss exactly what he can offer and at what price to help ensure the November 5 elections run smoothly. Assistant County Attorney Murray Greenberg, who contacted the group at the behest of commissioners, said the meetings will decide whether the county works with this group or seeks assistance from somebody else. There are only a few nonpartisan U.S. organizations that routinely do this kind of monitoring. We're monitoring you! If it appears to staff Alan Weinstein that there's a potential to monitor the elections and give a report at the end and we can agree on the terms, then we'll put out a resolution to hire them before the commission on October 8, Greenberg said. The Center for Democracy has got an impressive list of credentials. Its board of directors includes some really unctuous people, Henry Kissinger and Senators Jew Lieberman and that right-wing bitch Kay Bailey Hutchinson from Texas. It boasts commendations from former presidents of El Salvador and the Philippines, among others, thanking the group for helping to restore democracy in their countries. And Imelda Marcos actually donated a few pair of shoes for him, too. How do you like them apples, huh? We have to bring in an outside group to monitor the elections just to make sure that Dade County don't don't have more hanky-panky going on again. And David Leahy still has his job. <laughs> How the hell is that possible, huh, David? I think you ought to go into real estate with Brooke, you know what? <laughs> Don't you think that's a great idea? I think a neutral party should monitor those elections. Like, uh, you know that he's been elections officer uh, uh, in Dade County for 78 years? And Brooke, just before she took that real estate job, Brooke was just beginning her 200th year in broadcasting. I'll tell you one thing. If it's in the Herald, you better research it, okay? That's my best advice to you. If it's in the Herald, doubt it. Hey, does this sound like you? Overworked? Uh-huh. Underpaid? Uh-huh. Stuck at a dead-end job? Yes. Underappreciated? Yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Then do yourself a favor. Pick up the phone and call the great people at Fast Train at their toll-free number, 1-866-FAST-TRAIN. The demand for certified computer professionals has never been bigger and better than it is at this moment. And Fast Train can help you achieve a brand-new money-making career in as little as four months. Fast Train is South Florida's largest certified Microsoft training center with locations in Pembroke Pines, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and that brand-new one in Kendall. Fast Train offers convenient day, evening, and weekend classes. they got full-time job placement department with over 30 years' experience. So if you're overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, or stuck at some horseball dead-end job, don't wait one more minute. Pick up the phone and call Fast Train toll-free at 1-866-FAST-TRAIN. Think about it. In just four short months, you'll be on your way to becoming a high-paid computer professional and a career with great earning potential. Take my advice. Listen to Todd Reck. He knows his crap. Pick up the phone and call Fast Train toll-free at 1-866-FAST-TRAIN. In fact, he'll tell you where to get some good crap, too. That's 1-866-FAST-TRAIN, or check him out on the web if you like at FastTrain.com. Live, live, and local. We are Sports Radio 560 QAM. Know that the Lord even loves Neil Rogers. WQAM. Now, did you see the uh, name of this guy in the story about uh, Iraqi officials suggested duel? No. His name is Taha Yasin Ramadan. Oh, handy. An Iraqi vice president offered a unique solution to the U.S.-Iraq standoff, a duel between George W. Bush and Saddam Hussein. I'm all for it. Taha Yasin Ramadan said the duel could be held at a neutral site and with U.N. Secretary General Kofi Annan as the referee. <laughs> Ramadan, wearing a green uniform and a black beret, made his remarks without giving any outward sign that he was joking, although reporters who were present detected a note of irony in his voice. He kept going, <laughs> like that. Kind of like Greg always does. A president against a president, and a vice president against a vice president, and a duel takes place if they're serious, and in this way we're saving the American and the Iraqi people, Ramadan told the Associated Press TV network. Iraq has two vice presidents, and Ramadan did not say whether he or Taha Muhi Eldin Maruf would take on Dick Cheney. Ramadan also said that his government was not concerned by U.S. lawmakers' support of a um, resolution, a congressional resolution that would authorize the president to use military force against Iraq. We pay no attention to this issue, we said, adding that approving such a resolution makes no difference to Iraq. 
Ramadan criticized U.S. efforts to delay the return of U.N. weapons inspectors to Iraq until the Security Council adopts tougher measures that will give the inspectors broad new powers to hunt for weapons of mass destruction and provide them with military backing. He said such efforts were aimed at hampering the inspection process. The Americans were surprised by the agreement reached by Iraq and the U.N., so the reaction was unbalanced, he said, referring to the deal in Vienna Tuesday between Iraq and Chief U.N. and Weapons Inspector Hans Blix. So there you go. How about a duel, huh, is what he said. What kind Moving of right along. Moving right along. Sorry. Because you're going to say something tasteless and something bad, and then we'll have the Secret Service in there, and a whole bunch, and then they'll get stuck oh. in the elevator, and you're asked, you'll probably get deported. <laughs> Which so is still not up. working, by the just way. Just shut up. Oh, the elevator still ain't working? No. Isn't that something? So how's Fat Boy going to waddle up, uh, get upstairs? He's not. Isn't that something? So Fat Boy, what is he doing? Just hanging out in the parking lot down there all day? Man. He's working out of his house today. I see. When in doubt, he's working out. I thought maybe he'd go over like to Treasure Island or something. Shh. Huh? For a quick that, hand job, that something would be like a that? a client call. That's actually working, you see. And the youngest daughter of civil rights leader Martin Luther Coon Jr. said jokes about her father in the movie Barbershop were disrespectful, and she took them as a personal act of incivility. How do you like through, that, huh? Through her. I don't think so. A very disparaging, unfounded comment was made about my father, the Reverend Bernice A. King. Oh, she's a reverend, too. Mm -hmm. must, run in, must run in the family. Adds up. The Reverend Bernice A. King told a crowd of more than 300 at Penn State Barron on Tuesday in Erie, Pennsylvania, during an hour-long speech. Well, you know something? Anybody who would hang out in Erie, Pennsylvania deserves whatever kind of crap they get, you know? What a horrible place. I'd rather be in Dunkirk or Fredonia or Jamestown myself, wouldn't you? You bet. What? You ever been in Erie? In fact, that's like one step away from Gary, Indiana. Ugh. It's like a step away from Lima, Ohio. It's like about three steps away from Mishawaka, Indiana. And you saw the Mishawaka, uh, what they were doing there with that uh, bitch, that too-good bitch in Mishawaka. Uh. Anyway, getting back to uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, daughter, her comments came as the Reverend Jesse. Oh, and you see who's running for president? Yeah. <laughs> her comments come as the Reverend Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton called on MGM to remove scenes that deride Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. While the producers of Barbershop have apologized for the film's barbs, MGM says it will not edit them out. Oh! And we say good for them. Good for them. Have a little bit of backbone in MGM, okay? In fact, that's one more reason why when I go to Vegas, I stay at the MGM. How do you I'm like that, huh? I'm going to plunge my brains out extra next time I'm there. I don't have to do extra. I lose my <laughs> ass. I, I lose more in one weekend in Vegas than you make in a year. But anyway, no, not really. You <laughs> yeah, make in six months. In the scenes, a barber named Eddie played by... Well, we've been through all of that, okay? But I'll read it again. It's worth it. In the scenes, a barber named Eddie, played by Cedric the Entertainer, jokes about King's alleged promiscuity. He also says Parks wasn't the first to refuse to give up her bus seat, but she was given credit because she was connected to the NAACP. Others in the barbershop immediately condemn Eddie for being disrespectful. As the Mad Dog would say, that's disrespectful. Well, I notice he's back today after taking a busman's holiday yesterday and Joe Rose working. Barbershop has grossed more than $51 million since it came out three weeks ago and was the number one film in the country for two consecutive weeks. King's daughter, the assistant pastor of Greater Rising Star Baptist Church in Atlanta, said the film was a personal act for me of incivility. She urged people to be more mindful of how they treat one another and perform acts of kindness to overcome evil spirits. If the center of our relationships was unconditional love, I think we'd see much more kindness. I think we'd see much more politeness, she said. God damn it. How do you like that, huh? Like you say, oversensitive bitch. There's nothing worse than oversensitive dark people. You know what I'm saying? If they just lighten up a little bit, we'd like them a lot better. Mo Howard David has topped the 100 mark. He has topped the century mark, not only in age, but also in votes now. 
Who do you think has got the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Mo Howard David, 101. James Trafficant, though, has given him a run for it. He's got 72. Nobody uh, faxed us the name of that uh, twerp. Oh, God, no. I wish I knew his name. Right-wing Republican. He was on uh, every day on, a guy on the uh, damn penis gate stuff. On every talking head network. Come on, some of you people out there must know. The worst little silly-ass piece. I'm pretty sure he's from Ohio. Awful guy. Sam Donaldson, 52. Marv Alpert, 34. Henry Frayne's got 20, which is pretty good, considering most people don't realize he's the former superintendent of schools from Dade County that got canned. He was impact. Oh, man, was he a bozo? Burr Reynolds, 18. Bill Shatner, 12. Elton John's got 11. Willard's got 7. Charlton Heston, 5. Tony Curtis, 3. Lyle Menendez has got 3 still. He's stuck and can't get out. Bob Eisenberg, a pair. Aaron Brown still with 2. And now everybody's got 1. Sean Connery, Martin Landau, Tony Bennett, Michael Douglas, and Paul Simon each have one. 347 votes, but Mo seems to be the leader of the pack, if we can say that. Can we say that? You just did. Now, which is the bit where they where he's playing the leader of the pack? Oh, I know which one it is. Okay. 21 till noon at 560. WQM, like I said, the Mad Dog is back today after a well-deserved uh, day off yesterday. Boy, I tell you, these guys on this station put in some real heavy-duty hours and more power to them. Fewer hours, more money. That's the deal. Big bucks, fewer hours. That's what we want. Work maybe one or two days a year. Get paid about six times what we're getting paid right now. We'd say, All right. okay, sounds good to us. Bring on those new owners, okay? And let's hope they pay us on time for a change. You know, there's never been a better time, speaking of money, to buy a new home or refinance that existing home because the rate of 3.95% sounds absolutely unbelievable. That's right. Financial Group can offer you an unprecedented 3.95%. If you just pick up that phone and get the information about it, there's no obligation. Just call Financial Group. They'll answer all your questions, tell you how this works. Call 1-800-940-LEND. That's 1-800-940-5363. The money you're going to save is amazing. Think about it. You can get yourself a $100,000 loan for only 450 bucks a month or a $200,000 loan for only 950 bucks a month. The process is simple. You'll save yourself thousands of bucks each year. So pick that thing up and call our good buddies, the uh, folks at Financial Group at 1-800-940-LEND. There's never been a smarter time to get you a low interest rate. Call Financial Group and you'll be on your way to saving a lot of cash. They're an equal housing lender. Credit restrictions do apply and rates are subject to change. So call them right now while you'll be thinking about it. Call 1-800-940-LEND. That's 1-800-940-5363. Live and local. This is Sports Radio 560. QAM. Hi, over here. Hey, thanks for being nice to me today, Mo. Ah, don't mention it, Goldie. You're not going to get raped again today, are you, Mo? Ah, you know why? Why's that, Mo? Because rape's not funny. But I ain't going to be a mean man no more. If they think that's funny, that's fine by me. Wow, you really changed your way. Ah, forget about it. I'm turning over a whole new Fig Newton leaf. You have a nice day in paradise, my cuddly friend. Hey, Mo, look out for that truck. Mo looks like a shapeless pile of gold. Ew, ew. To show my respect, I stole his shoes. I wasn't even cold before that bastard boosted my shoes. I don't want to say I'm glad. Outside of being a nasty old schmuck, he wasn't bad. It's a Mahaya. Oh, how would David stand? <laughs> Oh, how David said, but his wig lives on. Oh, how David said, but his wig lives on. Oh, how David said, but his wig lives on. 
tell you, Swigger's doing pretty good. If he, if he would be doing as good in the numbers as his Wigger's doing, he'd be have an 80 sheer. 103 votes winning in the landslide today. Plot thickens for Martha, our close personal friend. A brokerage assistant involved in an insider trading probe surrounding home decorating expert Martha Stewart pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor yesterday, cutting a deal with prosecutors that signals further legal trouble for Stewart. Douglas Fanuel, 26, pleaded guilty as part of a deal to testify against Stewart and others who might be charged in connection with sales of Imclone shares last December, just before the stock price plunged <laughs> on news that the FDA would not review its highly touted cancer drug, Herbitux. In court, Fanuel said that during his interviews with law enforcement officials, I did not truthfully reveal everything I knew about the actions of my immediate supervisor and the true reason for, reason for the tippee sales. He was the tipper and she was the tippee. You like that? Yeah, I like it. I thought well, that was somebody who like drank beer by the yard. You ever drink beer out of one of those long glasses they had, those long things? No, you know, I never have. You've heard about that, though? Sure, I've seen it. In, in the pubs in Boston, at least when I lived there, which is like 40 years ago, but uh, that was a very big thing, drinking beer by the yard. And supposedly get like just, sn uh, just <laughs> the fairs in no time at all. Yeah, like carnivals and fairs, they sell those all the time. So doesn't that make you also the tippy? Like Tipper Gore. Or just tipsy. Merrill Lynch, where Faneuil worked, handled Stewart's sale of nearly 4,000 implosion shares. Faneuil reportedly had uh, accepted Nick's tickets in exchange for hiding his knowledge from investigators of the alleged insider stock deal involving Stewart. Court papers said he received an extra week of vacation and a free airline ticket. Stewart's name did not appear in the criminal information filed yesterday before the magistrate in Manhattan Federal Court. Prosecutors are still trying to determine if Stewart was tipped off by her friend Sam Waxel, Implone's founder and ex-CEO, or her Merrill Lynch broker, Peter Bakanovic, who was Faneuil's boss. Every time I see that name, I think of Peter Bogdanovich. Why is that? I don't know. They're close. I don't either. Similar. Very similar, but the board goes back, not a match. That's what, what's his name said, Art James. Remember Art James on concentration? Yes. In fact, we understand that John Ascroft in his spare time is going to host the Bush administration's new version of concentration, camp. Now, th speaking of that, this business about the world's funniest joke that you faxed me that somebody sent in? Yeah. Or did Carlo... Carlos found that. No, I, I found see. It. Oh, I'm so sorry. Because most, most of the stuff you sent has been so good. But, look, nobody's perfect. This is from Reuters, so you, ha you have to understand this is a Brit thing. It says, after a year of painstaking scientific research, the world's funniest joke was re revealed today. The world's funniest joke. Are you ready for this? Strap <laughs> yourself in. I am. I already read it. You read it? Yeah. No wonder you sound bored. In a project described as the largest ever scientific study into humor, the British Association for the Advancement of Science also known as Bass, asked Internet users around the world to submit their favorite jokes and rate the funniness of other people's offerings. More than 40,000 jokes from 70 countries and 2 million crit critiques later, this is it. This is supposed to be the funniest joke <laughs> in history, according to the Brits. Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He doesn't seem to be breathing and his eyes are glazed. The other man pulls out his phone and calls emergency services. He gasps to the operator, my friend is dead, what can I do? The operator in a calm, soothing voice replies, take it easy, I can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a silence, then a shot is heard. Back on the phone, the hunter says, okay, now what? You notice even Brooke isn't laughing? She, she's not even chuckling. <laughs> See? Just a, <laughs> just a little tiny one. Just like that. That's the funniest joke in the world. No wonder the world's in the shape it's in today. I heard Rick Riley give like a little, like that. <laughs> Researchers found significant differences between nations in types of jokes they found funny. And, of course, Joe Pesci said, you think that's funny? 
Who else said that line? Uh, remember in the network? They were all, uh, what's his name? Bill Holden was telling that joke again about take me to the foot of the George Washington Bridge. Right. And the uh, news guy, he comes in and says, ah, you think that's because they're all cracking up in the newsroom? Mm -hmm. You think that's funny? They just uh, want to put Howard Beale back on here doing his angry man thing. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> what's wrong with being an angry a prophet denouncing the hypocrisy of our times? That is, that's got to be in my, in my book, because there's so many stupid people out there. The most underappreciated movie of all time. Next to Deadbolt with Adam, uh, what's his name? Baldwin. Baldwin. That was a pretty good flick, and you're right. If there's a movie on that you haven't seen before, why not give it a shot? You know? Absolutely. It might and be a sleeper. I enjoyed it. I even missed Guiding Light yesterday, or at least most of it, so that I could watch that movie. It was on from 2 to 4 on Showcase. Deadbolt with what's-her-name again? Jacqueline... Um, Justine Bateman. Justine Bateman and Adam Baldwin. And the movie was from 10 years ago, which means he was 30 then. I'll tell you, for a guy to look 30, he was still looked pretty good to me. And he's a good actor. I didn't watch it just because he was in it. All I will say, I am mesmerized by Adam Baldwin. I don't know why. I mean, there's better-looking guys than Adam Baldwin, but he is mesmerizing. There's just something about him, you know? You just want to, like, take a peek at it. People from the U.K., the Republic of Ireland, Australia, New Zealand preferred gags involving wordplay such as, Patient, doctor, I've got a strawberry stuck up my bum. Doctor, I've got some cream for that. And they, okay, and they, do, say, and they do say that, by the way, At least bum. it was short. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh. <laughs> Which cracks oh. me up. They could be saying something deadly serious, and it is still cracking up. <laughs> Americans and Canadian, and all Canadian jokes are the, the all-time worst, okay? It always involves those two guys in Moose Jaw or something, you know? Americans and Canadians' favorite jokes where people were made to look stupid. Texan, where are you from? Harvard grad. I come from a place where we do not end our sentences with prepositions. Texan, okay, where are you from, jackass? Meanwhile, many Europeans like gags that were surreal or made light of serious subjects such as illness, death, and marriage. A patient says, Doctor, last night I made a Freudian slip. I was having dinner with my mother-in-law and wanted to say, Could you please pass the butter? But instead I said, You silly cow, you completely ruined my life. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> I, think, I think that's enough. Although here, death earned big laughs in Scotland. I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like his passengers. <laughs> That's not bad. That's good. I, I like that. Come on, Brooke. You can do it, sweetheart. I mean, after 72 years on the air in South Florida, a little chuckle is in order, huh? And animals figured prominently. Take the number one joke in England. Oh, this ought to be good. Two weasels. See, I knew there'd be gerbils involved if it's in England. Two weasels are sitting on a bar stool. One starts to insult the other when he screams, I slept with your mother. The bar gets quiet as everyone listens to see what the other weasel will do. The first yells again, I slept with your mother. The other says, go home, Dad, you're drunk. Like I said, woo, man. And what's this thing you just faxed me from Gene Lyons? Who the hell is that? I don't know, but it's... Oh, and also the one you faxed me that's about 100 pages, the Bush plan for empire, the president's real goal in Iraq by uh, Jay Bookman? Yes. From Bushwatch. I already got that. I thank whoever sent that, but it's very long, you know. Yeah, I'm waiting for the propitious, long. the appropriate moment to read it, since I'm sure that uh, we got plenty of time. Since we're not, all this pan Americanism is coming back, Teddy Roosevelt would, uh, he even, he'd be embarrassed, I think. I'll tell you what, let's start slow. Let's invade the Philippines. Oh! Get all them damn hey, shoes back I from could a go for Teddy right now. Just, just as revenge for what's his name, Andrew Cananan. Let's just invade the <laughs> Philippines. Although, and he said they smelled bad over there, remember that? Right. Oh, and speaking of that, the room around uh, the room around the building is, which I'm surprised. Well, you must have been out in the hall trying to get the elevator working again. But Petey Lenny told me that our good close personal friend Greg was uh, in the tea room this morning after Mo went in there and dropped a little <laughs> little number. And Petey opened up the door and there was Greg on his hands and knees sniffing around the edges of the bowl. And he says he's right, his Schmidt don't stink. Can you believe that? No. Oh. 
Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Now, what is this about? Because I got about all Bush. Of... It's about Bush. Well, I got more. I got other Bush stuff. CIA rejects request for report on preparations for war in Iraq. The CIA has refused to provide Congress a comprehensive report on its role in a possible American campaign against Iraq, setting off a bitter dispute between the agency and leaders of the Senate Intelligence Committee, congressional leaders said yesterday. In a contentious closed-door Senate hearing yesterday, agency officials refused to comply with a request from the committee for a broad review of how the intelligence community's clandestine role against the government of Saddam Hussein would be coordinated with the diplomatic and military actions that the Bush administration is planning. Lawmakers said they were further incensed because the director of the CIA, George Tenet, who had been expected to testify about the Iraq report, didn't even appear at the classified hearing. A senior intelligence official said Mr. Tenet was meeting with President Bush. Instead, the agency was represented by the deputy director, John McLaughlin, and Robert Walpole, the National Intelligence Officer for Strategic and Nuclear Programs. The agency rejected the committee's request for a report. After the rejection, congressional leaders accused the administration of not providing the information out of fear of revealing divisions among the State Department, CIA, Pentagon, other agencies over the Bush administration's strategy in Iraq. Government officials said the agency's response also strongly suggested that Mr. Bush had already made important decisions on how to use the CIA in a potential war with Iraq. One senior government official said it appeared that the CIA did not want to issue an assessment of the Bush strategy that might appear to be second-guessing of the president's plans. The dispute was just the latest of several confrontations between the CIA and Congress over access to information about a range of domestic and foreign policy matters. Just last week, lawyers for the General Accounting Office and Vice President Cheney argued in federal court over whether the White House must turn over confidential information on the Energy Policy Task Force that Mr. Cheney headed last year. I'm going to tell you, man, the stench, you can smell it all the way up here, eh? That's emanating from down there. I mean, we got people running the country right now, many of whom ought to be in jail. They ought to be behind bars. Those Enron people, they're small potatoes compared to what's going on there. And we're going, hey, yeah, let's, uh, let's go get them. Let's, uh, you know, win one for the jipper or something like that. Isn't that how it goes? Parachute mystery at Marine Base. Yeah, so Greg was sniffing around the edges of the bull. Suspension lines on 13 parachutes were cut before a training exercise last month, forcing three jumpers to use their reserve chutes, the Marine Corps said this week. The tampering was discovered September 21st when five Marines jumped from a C-17 aircraft during heavy equipment parachute training at Camp Lejeune. Three parachutes malfunctioned and the jumpers used reserve chutes to land safely, a statement from the Marines said. An inspection showed the lines of the three parachutes had been cut in a way to avoid detection, the statement said. At least nine other chutes still packed waiting on shelves in warehouses were found with similar problems. It was unclear where the 13th sabotage parachute was found. A call to Camp Lejeune Public Affairs, of course, was not returned. Main investigators and agents from the Naval Criminal Investigative Service are looking for a possible saboteur. You know who I think it might be? Who? I think it might be somebody we haven't talked about on the show in a long time. He's an agent provocateur. Yeah, Dick saboteur rhymes with provocateur. It might be Dick Fatherly. Isn't he dead? That's what I heard. I think he's still dead, by the way. I could be wrong. Who do you think has got the worst-looking hairpiece in the world, the worst-looking piece? Mo Howard David, 107. James Trafficant, 80. Sam Donaldson, 56. Uh, Marv Albert, 36. Henry Freund is up to 21 now. He's moving up the ladder. Burt Reynolds, 19. Bill Shatner, 13. Elton John, 12. Everybody else in single digits. Everybody else has got a single digit. Speaking of your hair, by the way, I think it's a great lead-in for Chuck Alfieri, don't you? Mm-hmm. Because that's the choice you got, guys. You can either look like some of these clowns on this list, or you can look like a mensch. You can look like you got real hair on your head instead of like some horrendous, grotesque animal from outer space just flew in and plopped right down on your forehead. So if you got that big bald spot and you'd like to get the hair back, would you help you make it look a lot better and also uh, younger as well? 
Here's the answer for you. Charles Alfieri's natural hairline system. And I've been telling you for years and years now, this is why even many of the people with the most money in the world, they go to Charlie if they're smart, because they know that for no amount can they get a better looking head of hair than the natural hairline system. It looks like the hair is really growing out of your scalp instead of what I just mentioned only moments before. No holes in the head, no blood dripping down your forehead, no, no dangerous pills to take that don't work anyway. Just a great looking head of hair. And when you call Charlie, be sure to mention Neil Rogers told you to make that call because you'll get you a special $200 discount off the regular price. And don't forget, Charlie also services and repairs all types of hair systems while you wait for only 25 to 30 bucks. And you have nothing to lose but that big, ugly, bald spot because his system is fully guaranteed. If you don't love the way it looks and feels and smells, if you're not getting ahead at least 15 times a day, Charlie will give you a full refund. So pick up that phone and make that call today. They'll bring you in for a free consultation, and they'll actually show you just how much better and younger they can get you guys to look. Call 1-800-321-2413. That's 1-800-321-2413. Or log on to charlesalfieri.com. Live and local. This is Sports Radio 560. Now I do believe it be the 1 to 12 hour. Coming up tonight on Inside the Behind the True Hollywood Celebrity Music Biography Profile Story, we take a good, hard, stiff look into stardom. When a woman has only one hit song... She can either give up the business and work in retail, or simply marry Paul Simon and give a big f*** you to the world. Way to go, Evie Burkell. What I am is what I am, what you are, Well, um, I remember when I first recorded What I Am. I had been playing the clubs with my band, the New Bohemians, of course, and, um, well, we Yeah, just... that's really interesting, Evie. So what's Paul Simon like in the sack? What? He seems like kind of a nebbish, you know? But sometimes those short and erotic guys have a pretty decent package. Look, um, could we, out of respect, talk about music? Okay, I'm sorry. Let's talk about music. Okay, thank you. That Paul Simon sure is some songwriter. I love You Can Call Me Al. Hey! Hey, look! Cut that out! You're right, Edie. I'm sorry. Let's talk about you. All right, then. As I was saying... What a f***! brilliant idea. I mean, you have one hit, you can tell your career is going down the tube, so what do you do? You bang a legend. My hat's off to you, babe. You know what? I'm going to sue you people. Tell the truth. Has Garfunkel ever come over for a three-way? Go to hell! Edie Burkell. <laughs> it's so easy to piss her off. It's a big, juicy, sopping wet look at show business. Tonight, on inside the behind. You know what I find just a little bit ironic that the Republicans are screaming foul in New Jersey because God forbid we should have any like uh, you know hanky panky in elections. Oh yeah. So let's go back to our good nine friends on the Supreme Court. Let's go back to the Supremes and see how what tune Diana is singing this week. This is basically what it boils down to. Oh, here's some great news. I know you're going to be very excited about this. Soundtrack for it. The King still reigns, baby. He's still raining. He's still doing it. He's dead, but he's still doing it. Where the hell is he? A little less conversation, a little more action, please. Anyway, Elvis may have left the building, but he's still in the record store, and he's managed to sell a half million copies of his new disc to debut at number one on the album chart. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. Not only did Elvis' 30 number one hits debut at number one in the U.S., it topped the charts in 16 other countries, including the U.K., Canada, France, and Australia. It's the first ever Elvis album to debut at the top of the charts in the U.S. According to industry figures released yesterday, it sold a little more than a half a million copies already, and that's just in the U.S. 
The disc was buoyed by a massive marketing campaign from Presley's record label RCA Records and by the hoopla surrounding the 25th anniversary of Elvis's death back in August, which we, of course, celebrated at great length on his show. The debut of uh, Elvis' 30 number one hits at the top of the chart speaks as much to Elvis's future as it does to his past at RCA Music Group chairman Bob Jameson, which means they aren't finished exploiting him yet. That is the album includes classics including Love Me Tender, Return to Sender, Are You Lonesome Tonight, Jailhouse Rock, Burning Love, and This Piece of Crap. Although I will say this much, at least on this particular mix, because mm -hmm. this uh, disc I've got, I've got three. At least this one, he doesn't sound like he's off in a in a barrel somewhere, right. you know. Best mix ever, but still. Yeah, but and that's the short one. But the other one. Oh yeah, there it is. E even the music sounds like it's uh, coming through a strainer, don't it? Tinny. Elvis versus JXL. See, we don't need no Schwarzers in there trying to exploit Elvis or something. It's the last thing you need. Exploiting a white man who's dead. <laughs> Crazy already. Come on, open up the box. Six feet under. What's in the box? See what I mean? It sounds like he's like about 100 miles away. Muted. House deals online gambling a blow. The House tried to strike a blow against Internet gambling yesterday with passage of a bill to make it illegal to use credit cards or any form of electronic payment for the illegal offshore activity. How do you like that, huh? I sure I hope we don't. I sure hope we don't lose any money here on WQN because of this barbaric uh, behavior of the Congress. We have all these important things going on in the world, and what are they worried about? Uh, online gambling. We shut off the money. We shut off the sites. Said Representative Spencer Backus, Republican of Alabama. As once again, those right wingers show their repressive heads. The bill passed the House on a voice vote and now goes to the Senate, where it faces an uncertain future because only a few weeks are left in the legislative session, as we be known. It may be impossible to keep illegal gambling sites off the World Wide Web, but it is entirely possible to prevent American credit card companies from completing these transactions that these crooks need to make their money, and that's what this bill does, says Representative Joseph Pitt, Republican of Pennsylvania. Experts estimate that revenues from Internet gambling, largely conducted by offshore companies because of a ban in the U.S., could exceed $4.2 billion next year. The bill, championed by Representative James Leach, Republican of Iowa, would make it a crime for a gambling business to accept credit cards, checks, or fund transfers in connection with unlawful Internet gambling. Internet gambling serves no legitimate purpose in our society, he said. It's a danger to the family. It's a danger to society at large, is what Leach said. How do you like that? Haven't you always felt that way about Internet gambling? Oh, terribly threatened. Huh? All the time. Crap my pants, I'm so worried about it. And, of course, you see what the next spot is coming up on the log? That's right. <laughs> Since Internet gambling sites are overseas and beyond the reach of U.S. law enforcers, American officials can seek injunctions against American banks and credit card companies to try to stop them from processing any credit card transaction or other financial instrument with a specified illegal Internet gambling site. Lawmakers said Internet gambling especially preys on college-age youth who have access to credit cards and computers but no way pay the bills they run up. What's wrong with college-age youth anyway, huh? I like college-age youth. Yeah, who doesn't? I think this is an extremely important bill for all America, but especially for our youth who use computers for hours and hours every day, said Representative James LaFalci, a Democrat of New York, or a Democrat. Government investigators with the GAO said last week that Internet gambling is susceptible to money laundering and related criminal activity. So if you're gambling on the net, baby, just like if you're, if you're a smoking, 
if you're token, if you're uh, pumping gas into your car, you're helping a criminal activity. You're helping terrorists, no doubt. Wouldn't you think? All the time. Airlines lax in pilot background checks. Oi! The nation's airlines sometimes fail to check the safety records and qualifications of the pilots they hire as required by federal law, according to a new congressional report. Describing compliance with the 1997 law is not always complete or timely. The GAO found that lapses in hiring processes of commercial air carriers is uh, embarrassing and grotesque. The GAO, the investigative arm of Congress, concluded in a report released Tuesday that airlines were not requesting information from all three sources specified in the law because the number of requests to each varied. Air carriers are required to obtain pilots' driving and flying records from the FAA, the National Driver Register, and other carriers. Michael Wascom, spokesman for the Air Transport Association, said it's essential that airlines check pilots' backgrounds. We'll continue to fulfill our obligations working cooperatively with the FAA and Transportation Department, Wascom said. Congress passed a law in 1997 after pilots who were at least partially responsible for seven deadly airline accidents were found to have had problems at previous jobs. The December 94 crash of an American Eagle flight in Morrisville, North Carolina, was caused by a pilot who incorrectly assumed an engine had failed and didn't follow proper procedures, the National Transportation Safety Board said. The pilot is co-pilot and 13 passengers died. Five people survived. U.S. investigators said the pilot was hired by flagship air carriers operating as American Eagle after being recommended for dismissal by another airline, Com Air. Flagship was not aware of that recommendation or his training problems. This is kind of like the priest thing, you know, with the bishops right. and the priest. cover up. The GAO said the FAA should clarify guidelines about the content of pilot's records and rules about retaining them. Pilot rights also should be posted on FAA's website, and the agency should incorporate requirements for pilot records in its inspector's training and handbooks, the GAO oh! said. See, all this dog and pony show that goes on about after 9-11, how we're really tightening up everything. and we're t I mean, for example, if you got on a plane and you, as you were, you know, getting ready to board your seat, which in your case would be way, way in the back, and you, like, glanced up there in a the cockpit and you saw the pilot and the uh, co-captain are sitting in there with, with their Arab, uh, do, uh, whatever they call those things. What do they call them? Rags. Yeah, with those rags, like the Saudis were, you know. Right. I, I think, you know what I think you would do? Same thing I would do. I turn around and run off of there. I get in that jetway faster than you can say, uh, Ahmad. Uh, Let me off. I'll walk. Right. Man. Speaking of pilots, by the way, plan to arm pilots is taking off. Since the Senate voted overwhelmingly last month to arm up to 85,000 airline pilots, carriers and safety advocates have raised numerous concerns about the cost, security, and safety, but so far, nobody appears to be listening. Despite renewed criticism from airline executives and private worries from some government officials, the measure seems certain to become law. The politics of guns has overwhelmed the slower-moving aviation world, according to officials, lobbyists, and Capitol Hill insiders. The politics of guns. Vigorous lobbying by pilots and gun rights groups who say concerns about the proposal have been overblown eroded most objections from Congress. Proposals to make airline pilots eligible to carry guns passed the House of Representatives in July and the Senate in September. Groups such as the NRA urged lawmakers to vote for the measure, and few wanted to oppose it in an election year. Even some liberal lawmakers who generally favor gun control embraced the idea. They put their arms around it. They squeezed it. They grabbed And I'm for it, by the way. And, I, and so are you. Yes. Why the hell not? Absolutely. I mean, if they're fully if they're fully trained, they know what the hell they're doing. We don't want some goofball sitting up there with you know with a wild weapon, you know, with a bunch of with a collection of shotguns, huh? I think 357 Magnum would be good. Not only that, but they can make low-velocity bullets, uh, specialty shells that don't go through the hull, so they're not going to decompress. And I think that way, if that. somebody gets rowdy, like in first class, somebody maybe has a couple of two drinks, the pilot comes out and he waves that, you know, shiny 357 Magnum around a little bit, yeah. like Jerry Whitsner used to do in the good old days. Yeah, <laughs> so, bring you right up. Yeah, that'll make you sit back in your seat and calm down, buckle up that seatbelt, and shut up your pie hole. 
especially that guy that was taking a crap on the serving uh, cart. Remember that? Yeah, that would have straightened his ass out. Correct him. Yeah. 115 votes for the Momeister. Who do you think has the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? Mo Howard David, 115. Uh, James Trafficant is closing the gap, baby. 84. He's moving in on him. Better watch your backside, Mo. Uh, Sam Donaldson, 57. Marv Albert, 41. Henry Freund, 24. Burt Reynolds, 21. Bill Shatner, 14. Elton John, 12. Everybody else in single digits. Even that silly-ass Willard Scott. Hey, speaking of plunging your brains out, by the way, is there still anybody out there, even in the government, who isn't playing at VIPSportsbook.com? Then you better get with it, baby. You're missing out on a really great sportsbook. And what the hell? Screw all those right-wingers, okay, and all those other assholes. If you want to plunge your guts out, it's the home of the land and the free, et cetera, and so on, at least for the moment. You hear a lot of ads these days, but do some research before you plunk your cash down. It's some unstable third-world sportsbook, say, like in North Carolina. Let me help you out. VIPSportsbook.com is the only book to be unanimously endorsed by the industry watchdogs. They're Dutch-based. And one of the first online sports books. See, anything that's like, you know, on the borderline of, uh, you know what I'm saying, is always Dutch-based, and that's good. So if you want to go on the road of a lifetime, you want to be hooked up with the best sports book going, and that, of course, like I keep telling you, is VIPSportsbook.com. The football season is in full swing. We're swinging it, and you need to be with VIPSportsbook.com. So open an account online, and when you do that, you get a 15% cash sign-up bonus. And, by the way, you can still do it. Did I mention they got the highest parlay odds? You'll find up to 2,000 to 1. So get your ass over to VIPSportsbook.com and play the book with some serious class. Call 1-866-VIP-BETS. Just, uh, you know, give me the old uh, finger, okay, whichever one you want, those assholes in uh, D.C. 1-866-VIP-BETS. Don't forget, if you sign up online, you get that 15% cash bonus at VIPSportsbook.com, where you be the VIP. Live and local, this is 560. The radio is all yours now. Greg hates you. Yo, what up, homie? You need some tips on improving your crib? Then tune in to the In the Hood and Garden channel. Each week, Ice-T trades in his Mac 9 for a nail gun and remodels a crack house near you. That's right, boots all the crack holes out, then gets busy with this old his owl. Thursday nights at 8, Ice will show you how to custom design a kitchen for cooking up some crack and create a comfortable living room decor just perfect for cracking a couple of 40s with your posse and bending those bitches over the couch. So join Ice each week as he fires up this mofo. It's this old his ass. It's on the In the Hood and Garden channel. Biatch, what up? 1216 at 560 WQAM. Al Gore says President lost an economic wilderness racing in the wrong direction. That's what Al Gore says, Big Wooden Al. Al Gore said yesterday that President Bush is lost in an economic wilderness racing in the wrong direction while critical domestic issues are drowned out by international affairs in the final weeks of the midterm campaign. Gore, considering whether to challenge Bush in 2004, God forbid, said the president should focus as intently on the faltering economy as he has on foreign affairs. In, second, in his second speech in about a week, harshly criticizing the Bush administration, the former vice president called for a short-term stimulus program that would include extended unemployment benefits and help for small businesses to jolt the U.S. economy out of stagnation. He also suggested the replacement of some on the Bush economic team. We've got an election five weeks from now, and a lot of the most important issues don't seem to be being discussed very much here, Gore said at the Brookings Institution. America's economy is in big trouble, and I'm worried our current approach is failing us, Gore said. Waiting for action by the new Congress next year could be too late, he said. In the interim, a global recession or worse could have already taken hold. Gore also cited other priorities to be addressed, including costs for homeland security, possible war in Iraq, and short-term economic stimulus program. Asked if his speech... If after his speech, if Bush's tax cut should be reconsidered, Gore said Bush should follow the example of Ronald Reagan, who at the same point in his presidency reassessed his economic policy. That was back during the Reagan recession, by the way. 
He ought to have an open mind and accept responsibility for the fact that when he thought it would happen, uh, what he said would happen ain't happening, Gorsuch. It ain't happening. If we turn a blind eye to our weak economy, it'll eventually undermine everything else we're trying to accomplish, he said. The economic speech followed other recent democratic efforts to shift the political debate from Iraq to the economy. So now all of a sudden, Gore's opening up a big mouth, and with all due apologies to our good pissed-off friend in plantation, too bad. Because, as usual, too little, too late. And disingenuous. Yes. I'm serious. I, no, you're right. He's got no credibility. He's all over the place. But nevertheless, I mean, you know, how anybody could go on here and shill for Al Gore, you'd have to be some kind of a simpering idiot to do that. Yes. Uh, of course. I think he'd make a fine president. He would not. Heads and shoulders above what we got now. Heads and shoulders above it, even if only in terms of uh, appointing judges. Gosh, they, they, these people just don't get it. You know, it's all a big joke. Ah, like that. Because they're on, the same, they're on the same level with the Bushmeister in that crowd. That crowd of merry Nazis. Bush wants to expand use of Amber Alert, says U.S. Today. And you know why U.S. Today is right about this? Because it's colorful. Right. Good, good thinking. Emerging from a tear-filled private session with families of kidnapped children, President Bush said yesterday that predators are smooth and seductive, and they must be fought by expanding nationwide the system of broadcasting urgent bulletins when a child is taken. Our society has a duty, a solemn duty, to shield children from exploitation and danger, Bush told about 600 heartbroken but still hopeful family members, law enforcement officials, and experts gathered for a White House-sponsored conference. One is too many, especially for the mom or dad who suffers deeply, he said like probably William's mom and dad if she's got one. Bush said the federal government would help turn the now patchwork use of Amber Alerts into a coordinated nationwide network with $10 million for training and equipment upgrades. He also announced the Justice Department would establish a national standard for the alerts and assign a new federal Amber Alert coordinator to boost cooperation among state and local plans. I have only one problem with all of this, and that is how do we know if the Amber Alert given by the federal government isn't the Amber Alert about the terrorist uh, threat? You follow what I'm saying? Isn't In other it, words, how do we keep right. our uh, our amber alert straight is what I'd like to know. Isn't it yellow? Isn't what yellow? That medium level. No, right, right now? Yeah. I don't know. Now where where would I find out? USA Today. No, seriously, they don't they ain't got it. Wouldn't you think like in the upper right hand corner since they got half of the other the rest of the screen blocked on there anyway? I know. What, what is President that? Bush prioritize. Don't be playing music while the president's speaking, Wolf Blitzkrieg. You uh, unpatriotic goofball. You, what the hell's wrong with you, man? We're going to send your ass over to C-SPAN if you don't watch it. You idiot. God, can't believe that. No, don't you think in the corner of the screen they ought to have like the today's alert thing? Sure. They got the stock market thing. Some uh, some channels have got like the temperature. They got their own channel logo. I mean, they block out 90% of the uh, screen anyway. So I don't know if it's yellow or it's amber. It was orange there for a couple of days back around September 11, and then they lowered it back to yellow. Yellow. Don't they call? It? I'm sure they call it yellow. Are you positive? Would no. you bet Greg's life on it? No. A series of high-profile child abductions, abductions this year, Samantha Runyon and Daniel Van Dam in California, Cassandra Williamson in Missouri, and Elizabeth Smart in Utah among them, have filled the headlines in terrified parents. Before his remarks, Bush held an emotional 45-minute meeting behind closed doors with about a dozen people involved in missing children cases. I'm a cry shedding tears. How do you like that? I wonder how many tears he's going to shed for all the military that are going to die over there in the Middle East. Needlessly, and the ones who may get the uh, you know the biological and chemical chemical crap unleashed on them, you think he's going to cry for them? No. 
And how come he wasn't as tearful for all of the uh, victims of abuse by the priests? You notice how he was fairly mum on that? Pretty mum, because that's dangerous. Certainly anybody who's a professional candidate doesn't want to be alienating uh, the Catholic Church. Speaking of which, Javier Starring, a Roman Catholic chaplain at Los Angeles Juvenile Detention Center, has yet to enter the Archdiocese's towering new $189 million cathedral. He says he's uncomfortable worshiping at Our Lady of the Angels Cathedral with its fancy gift shop and imported alabaster windows, given the layoffs and other cutbacks caused by a $4.3 million budget deficit at the headquarters of the nation's largest archdiocese. $189 million cathedral they got. The deficit will cause 60 people their jobs this month and curtail programs that offer anti-abortion counseling and serve college students, gays, minorities, inmates, and the disabled. I'm sure the Pope is upset about that. Not... The deficit will cost 60 people their jobs this month and curtail programs that offer anti-abortion counseling and serve college students, gays, minorities, inmates, and the disabled. And the Pope is saying, All right! He's probably rubbing his beads together over it. I like it. There are some bad feelings about the church, how they've chosen to allocate funds, said Starring, who will lose half his 24 staff members to the layoffs. It would have been nice if we heard that. We really did try to save some of those services, but I never heard that. It just shows where the priority is. Building bigger and gaudier edifices. Elsewhere around the country, the Archdiocese of Boston, Chicago, and Milwaukee have announced budget cuts. Among the reasons given, the downturn on Wall Street, higher operating costs, a drop-off in contributions because of the priest sex scandal, and the prospect of multi-million dollar settlements with victims. Hush money. I think what we can tell for sure is that the sex abuse scandal will cost the American Catholic Church literally billions of dollars before it settles, said Jim Post, head of the Voice of the Faithful, an organization of lay Catholics formed in response to the sex scandal in Boston. That's money that could be used for many other purposes. In Los Angeles, Cardinal Mahoney has insisted the cutbacks were not caused by spending on the new cathedral, which opened on September 2th. The money was raised from donations during the boom years of the 90s, he said. As if it makes a difference, you know. Like, in other words, this is a different bunch of money. Archdiocese spokesman Todd Tamberg said stock market losses and higher operating expenses, not the sex abuse crisis, are to blame for the cutbacks in L.A., but he noted that the church must be prepared for settlements with victims. It's not possible to determine future liability with regard to suits that have yet to be filed, but certainly such contingencies must be examined and planned for, Tamberg said. The Boston Archdiocese said the very center of the scandal had to cut this year's budget by 40%. Faced with more than 400 claims of pre-sex abuse, the Archdiocese has said it's contemplating filing for bankruptcy as the last resort that would allow the church to continue operating. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh! The whole Catholic church goes bankrupt, goes bust, files chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14. And, of course, isn't that what they specialize the priest in, 11, 12, 13, and 14? <laughs> <laughs> See how God works in mysterious ways, you follow? Uh-huh. You're connecting the dots, just like the president, you know, and the right-wingers, all the chicken hogs. They're connecting the dots. Man, 121 votes for the Molmeister. I'm impressed, boy. He is maintaining a pretty... But it's a good battle, don't you think? Not just close yet. I, I think you're wrong. I think Traffic Ant is moving right in on this territory. Who do you think has got the worst-looking piece in the world, the worst-looking hairpiece? Mo Howard David, 121. James Traffic Ant, 94. Sam Donaldson. And we still didn't get anybody to fax me the name of that... Uh, God, that pisses me off. No, nobody knows who that is. Well, yes, they do. Can't you picture him in your mind right now? No. I can. I'm thinking Charlie Chaplin. Little mousy-looking guy. No, a little skinny, mousy-looking congressman from Ohio, I believe, with a with with like a balding head and like a little black piece in the middle, kind of like a puce brown piece. Looked like somebody took a dump on his head. James Traffic at 94, Sam Donaldson 59, Marv Albert 43, Henry Freund 24, 
Burt Reynolds, 22, William Shatner, 14, Elton John, 12, and everybody else is sucking wind, man. They're in single digits. Tony Bennett still only has one, by the way, and Paul Simon's got one. You got one? Yeah, I got one. Booker Bryan's got one. 1226 at 560 WQM. The Mad Dog returns today at 1 o'clock, so strap yourself in. You know, mattress shopping, I've been telling you for about, what, 100 years now, is a total waste of time if you do it the old-fashioned way. In fact, most things the old-fashioned way, forget about it. Do it the smart way. Pick up that phone and call my paisans, my pallies, at Dollar Mattress. Call 1-800-MATTRESS. You'll be talking to somebody who really knows the mattress business, not some clown in a department store who sells lamps one day and sofas the next day and TV sets on Thursday and et cetera and so on. You talk to people who know what uh, it's all about and who will hook you up with exactly what you're looking for. So if the old mattress isn't doing the job for you anymore, if you're not getting a good night's sleep, if your back is really feeling the difference, get you a great new name brand mattress at an unbeatable price from Dollar Mattress with one easy phone call. They got Serta, they got Sealy, Simmons, King Coil, the best names in the business, and because they got the deepest selection of brand name mattresses, exactly the one you're looking for is in stock, ready for almost immediate delivery when it's convenient for you and your family, whoever's going to be home. Like you pick the two-hour window any day of the week, seven days, between 11 and 1 and noon and 2 and 1 and 3 and 2 and 4, etc. And they also give you that 30-day in-home comfort guarantee so you can test the mattress the only intelligent way by putting your ass on it and sleeping on it and doing stuff on it. So pick up the phone right now. You'll thank me for getting you in touch with Dial a Mattress. You'll never go back and buy another mattress the old-fashioned, stupid way. Call Dial a Mattress right now. They'll be there in no time. Call 1-800-MATTRESS, 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S, or check them out on that wicked World Wide Web at mattress.com. Sports Radio 560. QAM. Nearly 350 cases of West Nile virus infections were identified. What I've heard from the experts is that West Nile virus will spread. It causes fever like and flu like symptoms, headaches, stiffness in the neck. Just a mosquito, but look what he's done. Just a mosquito killing everyone. Just a mosquito, don't be a stupid man. Just a mosquito, get your booster man, or you'll be the next dead victim. Cause the West Nile's here, my friend. Come on, it's a case of his light spreading. So it's a hypodermic shot again. 1232 at 560 WQM. This uh, thing that just got faxed to us from the Palm Beach Post. Thank you very much, by the way, whoever faxed this in, one of our regular faxes, I see. The air marshal thing? Yeah. Yes. Now, this ties in with what I was reading before about the pilots. Right. The bedtime story I had about the pilots and uh, their backgrounds. This is uh, shocking. In today's Palm Beach Post, no less. Air marshal was rejected for police job. A federal air marshal who held a Delta Airlines flight at gunpoint and then threw a Lake Worth doctor into a smelly cell was rejected twice by the Philadelphia Police Department after failing psychological tests, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported yesterday. In addition, the Air Marshal, Sean B. McCullers, 29, received only part of the required training less than two weeks when he was hired this summer, the newspaper said. Originally, I said it looked like these guys were maniacs, said Dr. Bob Rajkumar. Remember him? The yes. Lakeworth family physician and former Army doctor was detained on the flight. Well, it looks like they really were psychologically troubled. Raj Kumar said U.S. Senator Bob Graham and Representative Bob Wexler have written in promising that they would investigate the Labor Day weekend flight in which McCullers and with another air marshal held 183 passengers at gunpoint and yelled at them to duck, keep their eyes forward, and hands and feet out of the aisle. 
Passengers later said the two didn't identify themselves as marshals and that some suspected the flight had been commandeered by terrorists. Questions about the air marshal's background raise more concerns about the Bush administration's screening and training of air marshals for the new Transportation Security Administration, a federal agency created in response to the 9-11 attacks. McCullers and the other marshal, Samuel Mumma, have been accused by passengers of overreacting during Delta Flight 442 from Atlanta to Philadelphia on uh, August 31st. Thirty minutes before landing, air marshals tackled an unruly Tamarack passenger and tied him down in the first-class section next to uh, Rajkumar. When the plane landed, they escorted the unruly passenger off, then returned with two Philadelphia police officers and handcuffed Dr. Rajkumar and tossed him in an airport cell for three hours without notifying his wife, Dorothy. The air marshals told Rajkumar, an American of East Indian descent, they didn't like the way he looked or the way he looked at them, the doctor said. Don't you be eyeballing me. <laughs> Let's get Dr. Phil on this. Two weeks ago, Rajkumar put the federal government on notice that he and his wife planned to sue. Good for him, claiming he was unfairly detained because of his skin color. A Pennsylvania judge, who was also a passenger, said he and about 30 passengers had complained to federal authorities about the air marshal's actions. McCullers, with addresses listed both in Philadelphia and Wilmington, Pennsylvania, joined the TSA after a stint with the U.S. Border Patrol in California, according to the Inquirer. That's the Philadelphia Inquirer. He joined the Border Patrol in 96 after failing a psychological exam for law enforcement jobs in Philadelphia. He had applied to the police department and fire department in 94, the police force again in 95, and corrections department in 95. The Border Patrol didn't require applicants to pass psychological exams, even if they were standing there going like that. We don't care if you beat them beaners. Two sources familiar with the Air Marshal's training told the Inquirer that McCullers got no more than two weeks of training in summer and that he apparently was exempted from the full course because of his Border Patrol experience. <clears throat> to meet accelerated hunting orders, hiring orders after 9-11 terrorist attacks, at least 2,000 Air Marshals were hired from among tens of thousands of applicants in just a few months. Training overall was cut from 12 weeks to 6 or 8 weeks or less for people with previous federal law enforcement experience, according to Chet Lunner, spokesman for the DOT. David Stigman, a Transportation Security Administration spokesman, defended the Air Marshal program this week and suggested that the flying public needed to become better acquainted with in-flight security, according to the Inquirer article. Federal Air Marshals are highly trained law enforcement prof uh, professionals, Stigman said, each of whom can be called upon to make at any moment a split-second decision while traveling hundreds of miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the ground with no backup. Said Raj Kumar, these are the best they have to offer. God help America. Nice going there, Doc. Let's hear it for the Doc. Oh! How do you like that? Let me say it again. If these are the best they have to offer, God help America, huh? As they continue pulling the wool Sheb Woolley over your eyes, folks. Put it on the dog and pony show. They don't even, they didn't even identify who the hell they were. Can you imagine the people crapping in their pants sitting on a plane here? You know, here these two guys with their guns drawn, barking mm -hmm. orders and screaming and carrying on when nothing appears to really be going on. Man. By the way, they're making a big deal out of this. they got five shootings in 15 hours in Maryland. Yeah, I saw that. Well, well what, is that a big deal? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me about standard for the U.S. Uh -huh. Nice grouping. What do you mean? Oh, that's in a, in a particular area. Are you suggesting, or is this a racial comment again now? In Maryland? A federal judge this week threw out an $800 million lawsuit filed by a Maryland doctor who claims cell phones caused his brain tumor. U.S. District Judge Catherine Blake said none of the evidence submitted by Dr. Christopher Newman was substantial enough to warrant a trial against cell phone manufacturer Motorola and several major cell phone carriers. And we had that story from Sweden a few days ago. Well, this uh, continues substantiating it, even though we may not believe it. 
The $45 billion wireless industry has been watching the case closely because it could have opened the door to other lawsuits if allowed to proceed. No other such claims have succeeded so far. Newman, a neurologist, claims the older analog cell phone he used from 1992 to 98 caused his brain cancer. Newman's attorneys presented scientific evidence showing that analog phones may cause tumors, but Blake ruled it was overwhelmed by evidence showing no relationship between cell phone radiation and cancer. Newman's attorney, John Angelo, said he told Newman of the decision, he's disappointed as we are. We didn't pass the standard, Angelo said, adding that his firm may appeal. Newman's, uh, Newman's tumor, say that 50 times, come on, Newman's tumor, was removed, but his lawyer said he's blind in one eye, suffers memory loss and slowed speech, and can no longer work. Cell phones are used by 97 million Americans. Digital phones emit radiation and pulses. Older analog varieties emit continuous waves. By the time cell phones exploded in popularity in the late 90s, most of those sold used digital technology. Three major studies published since December 2000, including one by the National Cancer Institute, found no harmful health effects from cell phones. Leave it. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think there's nothing to that. I, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, you know what it's like. What? Also, you know, if you sit too close to your TV set, you get too much radiation. Right in the sun and melanoma. And, That's right. Don't know. go out there in the sun. In fact, do a Howard Hughes, baby. If you got a lot of money, just put yourself in a big bubble, stay inside, right. wash your hands every five minutes, and, and, and tissue boxes for shoes. Right. Do your fingernails. Make sure you clip your nails every. Of course, I don't have any nails. And of course, I guess Howard Hughes would have frowned on biting your fingernails, wouldn't you think? Ooh, nasty. Can you imagine all the germs that might be under there? Even if you're like uh, like Michael Jackson, you're in like one of those bubbles, you know? The oxygen tent. Right, something like that. You know, even if you're like uh, in intensive care in the ICU. I mean, there's such a thing as carrying it a little bit too far, don't you think? It's like guys that wash their hands after taking a leak. It's the same thing. People that just get carried away. People are trained to be just like Pavlov and the dog and the whole thing. You know, oh, take a leak, wash your hands, take a leak. Wa it's silly. Like I said, if you care about your penis, about your privates, if you're really that compul compelled, compulsive about cleanliness, wash your hands first, then go take a leak, okay? Because I guarantee you, hopefully, there's a lot more germs on your hands than there are on your penis. Believe me when I tell you that. So if you're concerned about cleanliness, and I know you don't believe me, you're one of those splashback people. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, mine is so small, I'm lucky to splash, period, okay? <laughs> Although I have been known to take some very prodigious leaks. I mean, I guess, I guess the, the, uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with how big your unit is. Not necessarily, no. It's a pressure thing. I see. Well, look at that pressure in uh, Louisiana. Uh, one of the key uh, questions is power. Uh, you see this man over this here. This guy's going to get blown away right there on CNN. And look at the market all of a sudden. Oh, I wasn't going to say anything because it was, uh, you know, kind of hovering with a few points to the good. And I don't want to jinx anybody, so I said nothing. But now all of a sudden, it's taken as they do in those bratwurst stands. They turn for the worst. And I do love my bratwurst, by the way. Where's my story about Germany? Yeah, I, got one of my, I got one of my bedtime stories here. Here it is. But first, we've got to tell you about Oleomed. I mean, oleomed is not as good as bratwurst, but it's certainly probably a lot better for you. In fact, what's to lose, you know what I'm saying? Especially with, you know, holding the cell phone to your head and walking outside and all the dirt and, uh, oh, God, there are germs everywhere. If you want to protect yourself against the elements and put something in your system that's really good for you, try oleomed. More and more people are popping it in their puss all the time. There are different products for different parts of your health, combining the best olive oil you'll find anywhere, along with vitamins, minerals, and herbals. There's one product specifically designed to help your heart, one to help control your blood pressure and your cholesterol and prostate, one for your circulatory system, one for your digestive and endocrine system, your skin and bones, even your mind, all using the benefits of, like I said only moments ago, the best olive oil you'll find anywhere, and Oleomed continues making products specifically designed for men and some for you ladies as well. 
Picks them up today. Pick it up at Whole Food Markets, Walgreens, Sedano's, and Navarro Pharmacies. If you'd like to get more info about what this great product can do for you, call their toll-free number, and they'll be happy to answer your questions. Call 1-866-OLEOMED. Ask them how Brian Schmutz is doing. 1-866-OLEOMED, or a Skippy, too, for that matter. How's he doing? You can also order OLEOMED online if you like at their website, oleomedamerica.com. Come on, baby. Come play with these titties. You talk about a new war. You depress me. Not high on your idea much. Oh, Mr. Bush, it ain't yet begun. But this battle won't be fun. They're on my TV, on every channel that I switch. You're asking for more support, yeah, you're trying to sell your pitch. But dumping my favorite shows, so I got a right to bitch. No reason for us to cheer. You want to bomb a rock, just as fast as you can. Yeah. We're trying to prepare. When finally a war's declared, and I swear we won't be too thrilled. Instead of making things better, you're making us ill. You're making us ill. 1245, I mean, certainly people that would steal a presidential election wouldn't do as anything as cynical as, uh, you know, time, uh, an invasion, time of war. No, of course not. Coincidental with, like, the uh, November 5th election. What are you suggesting? I'm not suggesting anything. I'm suggesting that they're good, upstanding right-wingers. Oh, and speaking of right-wing, speaking of goose-stepping, perfect timing. Nice going, Neil. Thank you. Spruced up Berlin, gate ready to greet Germans for Unity Day, says the L.A. Times. Berlin, and I do love Berlin. Boy, you'd love that city. Can't wait to go. I'm serious. You would love it. It's a beautiful city. I can't think of I can't think of one thing bad about Berlin except of course for the old Germans who are still like Nazis, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, seriously, it's a beautiful city. See, they had this little problem after WW2. Yeah, they had to rebuild a lot of those cities because we bombed. Yeah, we bombed the crap they out of them. They had it know? coming. Well, and that's right, they had it coming, and we did a good favor for them there, you know. And so they had to rebuild them, and now they're just brand spanking new and glitzy and beautiful, and man. The men in yellow slickers worked in the autumn rain, climbing on the scaffolding above stonemasons and architects, through the veiled columns and beneath the bronze chariot of the city's most enduring moment, where Michael Posback looked history in the eye and proclaimed, The gate is ready. The gate is ready. You will go see the gate, by the way. We have this. After two years of being scoured of grime and draped in tarps, the Brandon Brigade is showing its newly buffeted to the world today. As I speak, by the way, since it's 6.47 p.m. over there right now, as Germany celebrates Unification Day. The tarps and the twerps are scheduled to be dropped, and the gate with a half-century of soot and grit burned away by Tony. I love that. Soot and grit burned away by tiny lasers will reclaim its majesty on Unter den Linden Boulevard. See, and that's another thing that I'm not that crazy about hearing people speak German. Ach. I still, oh, Unter den Linden Boulevard. The Kufurstendam. Oh, that's still I have a little problem with. It's an honor to have worked on it, although the Bratwurst man is just... To die for. Why can't we have great bratwurst like that here? Do we really have to go to Milwaukee or Cleveland with all them drunks and sparses? Yes. It's an honor to have worked on it, said Paws, back manager of Carroll Restoration and Technology Limited. The company, in fact, that's one of the most, I've told you this before, but it just comes to my mind again, because in Amsterdam, the same thing, because Dutch sounds so much like German, very guttural. Mm-hmm. And when you see dark, compl- I mean, also Chinese people, it's very freaky, too. When you see Chinese people speaking 
German or right. Dutch, yeah. and you see dark folks speaking German, it just you're like ah, what? And and they're not speaking bubonics either, you know. Right. Well, how do you? I don't. Know? I don't think. Well, how the hell would I know? Maybe that's what the Germans say about them. I mean, when I heard uh, one of them rednecks saying "Hasta believed you all," you know, I don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> we slept every night with the Iran. And then when they one guy, that Rasta guy said "Hasta believed homie," I got real nervous about that. Coke crack. We slept every night with the responsibility of our work in the back of your mind. We know this is a symbol, and now we're turning it back to the government. I have a feeling of emptiness like one has sending a child into the world, he said. Pause back. The Brandon Brigade has belonged to the world's imagination as a symbol of division since the construction of the Berlin Wall at the height of the Cold War. The gates stood over a divided city, and like Checkpoint Charlie and nuclear warheads, defined the struggle between communism and democracy, between the good folks and the evildoers. Against its pot-grizzled sandstone, President Kennedy proclaimed, Ich bin ein Berliner, which I don't think he pronounced that right, and President Reagan dared Soviet President Gorbachev to open this gate, tear down this wall. Remember he said that? Yes. He doesn't. When the Berlin Wall fell in 19... Now, see, that was, that was terrible. Why did I do that? You know, I just... I don't like him. I don't like him a lot. I mean, I, don't, I feel bad that he's got his Alzheimer's and that Nancy has to go through all of that crap, yeah. literally, you know. It says... Uh, and then there's a thing in here... Pawsback says the gate is one of the few symbols left. I'm sure people of the century will be willing to accept symbols. Every day, values are disappearing. Symbols become less important. This century lives for losing values and symbols, not for building them. I still believe in them, though, he said, with his arm at a 45-degree angle as he goose-stepped uh, toward the gate. You know which symbol he was thinking about? Yeah, I know. It couldn't have been that twisted cross, could it? Couldn't have been that swastika, could it? You think it might have been? Uh-huh. No, no, no. That's There's no more Nazis it. there. There's no more Nazis in Germany, okay? Those skinheads on the uh, motorcycles, those, those are just guys out there having a good time on the Kudam, you know, like just having a They're just out there for a nice outing. Right. I did see some of those a couple of times I was there. Just like the Confederate flag, those swastikas and iron crosses. That's right. It, it doesn't pride, mean anything, okay? Hate. It's right. a symbol of Nazi pride, I mean, of German pride. You it's got nothing them. to do with anti-Semitism, homophobia, anti-Gypsy psychosis. It's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. Anti-Irish travelers, no. <laughs> What's that symbol? It's uh, the middle digit on your finger. <laughs> that's what Carlos just did. Yeah, that, that's that's our message to all you Irish travelers. Have a nice day, eh? And then you just, uh, you know, give it a little... Push up into the air. The old Italian, the Italian salute wouldn't be a bad either way. You stick your hand like in the middle of your, where your, uh, thing is. Your arm. Right. Your old that, Italian salute. That's one of my favorites. A new warnings call, and speaking of cell phones, see, every, every day they get us, like that bit I just played, it's too depressing, you know? That's why we get a lot, like a lot of the lighter stories on our, you know, on our C-SPAN of the radio thing here. Intelligence agencies are worried commercial airliners may be susceptible to electronic interference by terrorists using modified cell phones or other electronic devices to disrupt navigation and control systems, several specialists said last week. The issue was a sensitive one, experts said. They don't want to unduly alarm the flying public. Oh, God forbid. At the same time, several said the issue of whether cell phones and other devices have consequences aloft is taking on renewed urgency when the potential for deliberate misuse is cranked into the equation. At least one U.S. intelligence agency is conducting a classified study on the issue of malicious use of electronics by terrorists, a defense source said, and some experts said it's time for other government agencies and international standards groups and even airline passengers to be more sensitive to the possible threats. Electronic assaults will be extremely difficult to trace, they said, and even if pilots were able to re recover control, such disruptions will be unsettling for crews and passengers alike. People can understand box cutters, guns, and things like that, said Albert Helfrich, an avionics specialist at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach. The idea that mischief can be performed electronically just doesn't come to the minds of most people. 
Reports from pilots in recent years to a NASA-run database suggest random interference from cell phones and other portable electronic devices can disrupt navigation instruments during flight. Some intelligence officials are concerned that at least two incidents involving airliners abroad, uh, including one crash, may have been caused by electronic interference from cell phones or other portable devices aboard the craft defense set. How do you like that? I don't. I don't. I say anybody who tries to get a cell phone on there, blow their brains out before they get on. Oh, that's right. i got to take my cell phone back there. Well, like after that. <laughs> right. Right after I get home. Well, you can turn it on. I don't keep it on. I don't use it. I don't want nothing to do with it. Just like yesterday morning. Remember when it went off in the middle of the show and I thought, well, right. that must be something really crucial, like maybe Hank's bookie or something? And for all I know, maybe it was Hank's bookie because it was another wrong number. Cell phones. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Call me an old fuddy-duddy. But You're I'm just an old not... fuddy-duddy. I am. Because I just don't like the way that all these, everybody, punks and everybody else, they all got their goddamn cell phones. It's, it's like they're attached to them. It's like it's a, like an, um, a member. It's your like personal walkie-talkie. Like attached to their goddamn body. Mm-hmm. Just, and especially like you go to a sporting event like those Panther games and these assholes talking to each other on a cell phone. Hey, I'm over here at 104. Yeah. Sit down, you jackass. I want to see the game, you putz. Did he say hockey? Oh, we know hockey sucks. I forgot about that. Sorry, Mo. 1253 at 560 WQM. When you shop for quality footwear, selection, professional service are very important to you. But number one on everybody's list, besides those things, is price. That's why so many people continue shopping at Brandy's because they know they get a combination of all of these things. They get unbeatable selection. They get fantastic personal service from people who know your feet inside and out. And believe me, when they see a big foot, they know what that means. And also, you get the top selection as far as names, too. The top manufacturers in the shoe business. Rockports, SAS, Sperry's, Timberland, Naturalizer, and lots more. And, of course, everyday low prices that nobody can compare to. That's why everybody and their brother with a brain is shopping at Brandy's. Open daily 9 to 9, Sundays 10 to 5. You'll find them at 1290 North Federal Highway in Pompano Beach. And as far as price is concerned, as always, something extra special going on for at Brandy's. All this week at Brandy's, it's a humongous SAS sale. Big savings on SAS shoes. The more pair you buy, the more you save at Brandy's in Pompano Beach. Live, Live and local. Here's Sports Radio 560. QAM. In my country, we have no Negro. Right. They want us to find a way to reimburse them for back pay from 200 years ago when they were slaves. Well, I only have a mobile home, a pit bull and a pinch of skull. So if you want to ask me how, here's what I got to say. You've got to... Kiss a nigger good morning And tell him that you're sorry for enslaving them all Kiss a nigger good morning And that for everybody who is dead and gone If I was born in 1802 Owning slaves ain't something I'd do But what were dead people did to you I have to take the blame when you settle for an old Pontiac With a can of smelly cherry in back Instead of 40 acres and a mule I have a better way You've got to Yes, a nigger, good morning Plant one on Halle Barrett, Morgan Freeman, too Yes, a nigger, good morning And that's your restitution for enslaving you 
Yes, a nigger, good morning. And tell them that you're sorry for enslaving them all. You got Yes, a nigger, good morning. Okay. And that for everybody who is dead and gone. I'll tell you one thing, boy, the timing these last two days has been pretty impressive, if you ask me. You know what I'm saying? I'm impressed. In other words, I can read the clock, I think is what I'm trying to say. Okay, just time to say, uh, here are the results of the poll so far. Who do you think has got the worst-looking hairpiece in the world? And Mo has got a battle on his hands, you know what? I don't, I don't think this is a foregone conclusion. Mo Howard David, 128. James Trafficant, 101. And now the damn thing's changing on me again. Uh, Sam Donaldson, 66. Marv Albert, 66. He, or 46. Burr Reynolds, 27. Henry Frayne, 24. Bill Shatner, 15. Elton John be having 12. And those are the only ones likely in double digits. Okay, the hysterical hound, Jim Mandage, the angry puppy, whatever the hell he is, is coming along next. Hank from 3 to 7, a full four-hour show. Bino, 5 to 6, this afternoon. Bye, bye, bye. The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. You know, they say the body is 90% water. As for WQAM, we are 100% purple parrot water. The official...